Coming to you from high atop our luxury studios in the San Francisco Bay Area, you're listening to Tech Move. This is episode 28. In today's show, Rod and Keith welcome to Tech Move the one and only Dave Dugdale of LearningVideo.com. I'm Rod Louie, and with me is Keith Moreau. Get ready. It's time for another exciting episode of Tech Move. Let's go! It is another brand new episode of the great Tech Move podcast, where you learn all about digital filmmaking gear, Mac computers, and iOS devices. Rod Louie here, welcoming into our fabulous show, the great Keith Moreau. Keith, how are you? I'm very good, Rod. Thanks for asking. It has been a little while since we've uh, distributed a uh, an episode, but you know what? That is Tech Move's uh, par for course, wouldn't you say? I mean, I... You know, we like to keep the uh, our listeners waiting, guessing for a whole heck of a lot, don't we? We that's our thing. That's our thing. That's our thing. We we really, it's kind of an old style of filmmaking, you know, <laughs> where you uh, really stretch out the tension. You, know, <laughs> that's, you, that's, you create you create a lot of anticipation. I I, I like the word tension because that <laughs> that that is exactly what it is. It's exactly that tension to try and get an episode out but uh a lot of tension. yeah a lot of tension but anyway hey uh it's great to talk to you keith uh yeah. and i know likewise. it's fantastic really talking to me likewise but- <laughs> yes very fantastic <laughs> even more fantastic but it is exciting really to kind of uh dust off the microphones mm-hmm. and get a new episode out here uh, the funny thing is that we have a wonderful, an absolutely spectacular episode in store for you uh, today, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, it is an, uh, a, a, a terrific uh, subject of, uh, well, actually, it, we're going to be doing an interview today. And uh, we have a very special guest uh, that Keith was able to snag as far as a uh, interview goes, and we are talking about uh, none other than the great uh, Dave Dugdale, who runs LearningVideo.com. Uh, Keith, tell us a little bit about what you know about Dave. Du- I I know what I know. I want to know what <laughs> you know about Dave Dugdale. Well, I didn't know about him much personally, but I knew about his website and and blog and and his videos for years. Um, you know, I, I have a, a list of bookmarks that I go to pretty much all the time that I just, you know, sit down and eat and read my computer. And <laughs> and he's definitely up there. He's like in the top, you know, ten websites that I go to. And uh, and and one of the things he's done just over the years, he doesn't have a lot of them, but he has these um, these. Uh, these these reviews these really long reviews of of cameras and camera gear and really complete you know he's just an extremely detailed person you can see why he's so successful um but he also has these kind of like courses on cameras so he had a really great course i think i think on some of the canon cameras and then he did one with gh4 and then he just came out with the a7r2 
it's like a six-hour course. And it goes through all the menus and all the features and all of his suggestions about what to, how to set things. And, and, and actually, the reason that I was interested in this and even interviewing him was kind of a selfish reason. Um, I actually just recently got an A7R Mark II. Well, you know, Keith, I'm not terribly <laughs> surprised by that. I mean, we we haven't talked in a little while. It's been yeah. a, at least a few weeks uh, mm-hmm. since our last recording, and I'm actually surprised that you don't have the A8Q7, <laughs> uh, which I know will be should be released by now. But yeah, uh, by next episode, the A8Q7 will be out. <laughs> You well, uh, I mean that is fantastic. I, I I actually knew you couldn't resist. You couldn't resist, and you couldn't wait for for to to pick this thing up. Yeah, and and actually, after the Dave Dugdale um, interview, we'll talk a little bit more about my personal experiences with the A seven R two because at, at the time of the interview, I just gotten it. Okay, and, and I really hadn't used it in any kind of real situation. But I just got a came back from a shoot in New York, and I just used it continually, like twenty four seven. And well, I'll tell you my my thoughts on it. Well, I'm I'm going to tell you that you uh, I uh, uh, hold you completely responsible for turning me on to uh, Dave Dugdale <laughs> and the LearningVideo.com website, uh, especially uh, once I had heard that he was such a huge fan at the time of uh, the Panasonic GH4, yeah. and uh, of course, you know everyone knows me as the big you know Panasonic head that mm-hmm. i am mm-hmm. uh so i was excited to you know uh watch some of those videos and stuff of like that and then it turned me on to all this other stuff and mm-hmm. very very interesting man and uh and i'm very very excited that he would join us uh for an interview uh a, a nice little sit down interview and um you know i think i think that was very generous of him uh, uh to do that for us yeah he's he's very present on the internet and and uh but the thing that that he comes across as a very nice person, you know, he's very modest. Yep. Um, which is nice. It's a very nice quality because a lot of the experts, the camera experts, particularly, they're they're not exactly modest. You yes. Know, they're they're, you know, they're a little full I of mean, themselves. Is what you're trying to say? Full of I themselves. I wouldn't say, but they're very certain about what they're what they're saying. Yeah. You know, they're very they're very concrete and definite. And you kind of need that, you know. Sometimes when you, when you really want to learn something, you want to learn from an expert who is very confident. But yeah. and Dave, Dave is actually confident in his way, but he's also very modest in a way too, and that's very appealing. It's a very easy way to kind of get used to things. So um, I, I really like his style. I think I mean the fact that he has millions of followers and 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 hits on YouTube and and things is is you know a testament to that 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 style really works what i was impressed with and i'm getting a little ahead of myself but that's okay cuz i'm able to preview the interview <laughs> prior to uh, us releasing it but the thing i really like is that when you're talking to him during the interview it is exactly the same way he comes across in his videos it it is i mean yeah, it's exactly the same. the same i mean like you know he's not putting on any airs about himself or anything like that seems really super easygoing and and you know we could ask him the dopiest questions <laughs> that there are and he's probably you know answered it 50 million times or he's thought of it himself <laughs> yeah uh, exactly so i like that yeah i like that and the thing that i kind of like about him too is that he's not above learning more stuff like even in this interview he asked, he asked me a few questions about things right. technical things right. which i I was able to answer some and others not so much, but uh, that was kind of nice, yeah, as well. So that's that's another thing you don't always see from these experts. 
So yeah, I was I I was really fortunate to you know get a hold of him, and he he was very responsive. You know, just like immediately, it wasn't very hard to actually get the interview or right. interview with him. But uh, it went really well, very super smooth, easy. Got a lot of info. I actually probably probably want to do another interview with him because I probably have another three hours of questions and things <laughs> for him. Right. So well, maybe in the future we'll have another another one with him on on his his next you know video that he's coming out with. But well, anyway, well, let's publish this one first before yeah. he completely <laughs> thinks that we butchered it completely and uh, and get his feel on that. He might never want to hear from us again. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, anyway, hey, uh, I say, Keith, let yes. us, uh, proceed, uh, with listening to this interview mm -hmm. and we'll come back and gather ourselves, uh, after our excitement has, uh, <laughs> has ended, uh, and we will come back and, and discuss, uh, once we're finished with this. Okay. So, uh, l l let's do this. Here is a interview with the, uh, uh, with the owner of uh, learningvideo.com, uh, Mr. Dave Dugdale, along with Tech Moves' very own Keith Moreau, as they have a little fireside chat. So give this a listen, and we will come right back with our comments. And again, you are listening to Tech Move. So we have Dave Dugdale here, and Dave is the founder of learningvideo.com, uh, which was formerly learningdslrvideo.com, but since uh, he's not doing any more DSLR <laughs> uh, training, he, he changed that to learningvideo.com, which is actually a, a great a great uh, URL. He must have paid a lot for that URL. Yeah, I did have <laughs> to pay something for that. <laughs> but but uh, great name, learningvideo.com. And I actually personally have purchased, without without a discount, I purchased two of his courses, the GH4 course, which was so extensive that I basically couldn't finish it because it was just it was just too much stuff for me to absorb. Um, although it had some amazing information, and I kind of found different parts to it that I really was interested. In. But the one that I'm mostly interested in right now is is the A7R2 course, which he just came out with, and I've listened to probably. I don't know, about an hour's worth of it. I got through the first chapter and went to the second chapter that has stuff about the menus, and it's just amazing amount of information. So I just wanted to welcome Dave to Tech Move. Hi, Dave. Hi. Nice to meet you. <laughs> well, it's really nice to meet you. I think I've probably followed your your site and you for years. I'm not sure how long you've been in it, but it seems like you've been in it for a little while. Uh, six years, I think. Wow. So I use Safari. So I'm I'm a I'm a Mac guy. Sorry, oh, but uh, okay. <laughs> in fact, that's one of the things I'd like to talk to you about later. Anyway, so in my Safari bookmarks, you know, right in the toolbar were all the, you know, all the ones that you frequently go to. You're you're one of those. So hey, you're, yeah, thanks. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so along with a few other forums and things on cinematography, I, I don't really know much about you other than the fact that you live in Colorado and you always have scenes of you know beautiful forested you know, areas and rivers and things like that. <laughs> but, but I don't really know. I don't really know much about you, your background, like how you got into this. So if you feel like, you know, talking about that for a minute, that would be great. 
Sure. Um, yeah, I went to school for audio engineering. I wanted to uh-huh. work in a recording studio many years ago, and uh, I worked in recording studios for a brief period of time, and then I became an audio um, acoustical consultant. So I designed sound systems for like churches, airports, arenas, football stadiums, theaters, um, all over the United States, and some like in internationally as well. But um, I did that for quite a while. And when my wife was um, having our first child, um, I was like, you know what, maybe I'll quit my day job and stay home for the first two years with the, our first child. And then I'll go back to work when the second child is born. And that's basically what happened is I, um, our first child was born and then I uh, quit my day job. And then while, you know, the baby wasn't doing much, um, I started a number of businesses. One really took off and did extremely well, which is kind of in a totally different niche, a uh, different website. But then I got kind of bored of that after a while, even though it was making really good money. Do you want, do you um, want to tell me what that, what that is? Uh, it was a, a site called rentvine.com. It was a national rental site. Oh, okay. For and, what type of stuff? Uh, for like renting homes. Um, oh, okay. Kind of like, like Airbnb or something like that. Kind of. Yeah. Uh-huh. Not, yeah. Not on the vacation side, but more of like, you just want to rent one for a couple of years oh, lease wow. kind of thing. Okay. So that worked out really well and I got kind of bored with it and the people in that industry weren't very nice. So I uh, moved over to doing um, just video stuff because I was trying to build links from my real estate site and I kept, you know, trying to do, you know, viral videos to get more links to my site and one video I was trying to knock off or spoof this uh, Apple video and uh, it had this very blurry background. I was like, what is this blurry background? How do I get this? I can't get this on my video in my, cause I had a um, camcorder at the time with a very small chip in it. And so I go to the forums and I say, how do I get this look? And everybody's like, Oh, buy the new Canon 5d Mark II that just came out. And I was like, Whoa, that's kind of expensive. And then the T2i came out. I was like, okay, I can afford that. So I picked one of those up and I was like, started recording with it. I was like, wow, this is really complex. There's a lot of stuff going on here. So I, uh, I uh, just started doing lots of tests and I was like, oh, we'll throw up, put a website together. So I created a site called learningdslrvideo.com, which has since changed to learningvideo.com because I don't shoot with DSLRs anymore. But <laughs> yeah. back then I uh, basically uh, just started putting tests up. People seemed to enjoy it. And then I kept making more and more. And, and meanwhile, I was still making really good money from the real estate site, which I've since sold. And it put me in a situation where I could spend way too much time on this <laughs> in terms of the video stuff. And I messed around with it. And then I got to the point where I could actually start making some money off the site, which is what I'm doing now. I'm selling courses. I sell banner ads. I make money from YouTube. I make money from uh, my affiliate with B&H Photo. So I make mo- money in a lot of different ways. And it gives me the very nice uh, flexibility not to have to do really any client work. And I can just take on any projects that I want to do kind yeah, of thing, yeah. which is kind of a unique situation. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's uh, kind of my background in a nutshell. That's that's really cool. You know, we have something in common because I, I did go to school for uh, audio engineering as well. Oh, cool. Where'd you go? Electronics. Um, SF State University. Okay. Yeah. Here in San Francisco, because I'm based in San Francisco uh, or nearby right now in Brisbane, which is just uh, kind of a small uh, city just south of San Francisco. So I actually had a recording studio in SF and, you know. Sold, got got out of it a long, long time ago. But yeah, I was a musician and probably did a lot of the stuff you did. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like. Yeah, so you know, it's really cool is that I think the audio 
I mean, I was always into video too. I was always into filmmaking and video videography, but but st first started really professionally in, in audio. But when you're an audio person, I think it really helps you uh, do do video visual stuff as well and editing and things like that. You know, I think you're a lot more attuned to kind of subtleties in timing and and how music and sound works with visuals. I think it's easier to learn video after you've become an audio expert rather yeah, than the other way yeah. around. I, th I think to a lot of people that are just visual or, or just like directors that haven't done the audio, they're just totally, they just have no clue about audio, like dealing with it or, or anything. It's just like this black art. <laughs> Whereas I think audio people going to the video kind of grasp it a lot faster. Yeah, but, for me, the audio part of it, I mean, I really enjoyed my audio part of my career a lot. Um, always enjoyed audio, but and, and I could be very um, creative in it. Um, mm -hmm. But now with video, <laughs> you get the video and you still get the audio. That's right. You have so to do both. It, it gets even doubly more, I guess you could say, more creative. You can be with this type of medium just rather than audio itself. I, I agree with you. Yeah, I think I think it's a great a great combination, a great marriage of of a couple different uh, disciplines and arts. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. So you basically you're just you just are you have the freedom to do a lot of a lot of testing and and other stuff with your with your yeah. Side. Yeah. So if I ever want to go down a rabbit hole of like I was this morning, I'm working on these lights, um, testing them out and replacing fans and you know, <laughs> doing a whole bunch of stuff. I can, and you know I've got a project coming up in a couple of weeks that I'm going to be working on. So I've got. A lot of times you get downtime. I'm sure I'm not the the only person that has downtime that even has paid clients. I'm sure people aren't shooting every single day. I mean, you know, even like wedding photographers or videographers, they probably shoot on the weekends and then during the week they're pretty much just editing all week long kind of thing. So uh -huh. I don't think anybody out there is shooting every single day unless you're, I don't know, in Hollywood and <laughs> you're on, a, on set for 30 days kind of thing, filming every single day. So. Well, yeah, I think everybody has that kind of on-off um, type of workload. I, I think so. Although I think depending on how successful you are and how many commitments, like for me, like this podcast is an example. I think I've been doing this podcast for almost four years, and then we have a total of twenty-six episodes out. And, <laughs> and I've been <laughs> and I've been working on the twenty-seventh episode. I mean, it's it's been in the can. It's actually just ready to go. But just I haven't had the time to even you know, do the XML and stuff to get it into a podcast yeah. state, which takes a couple hours to just get it all, you know, ready to go. So it's kind of like the other people I follow, you'll notice that they'll like, they'll go away for a couple of months and all of a sudden they just put video after video out <laughs> and they're like, you can tell that, Oh, they've got some downtime. So yeah, some stuff done. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so uh, for me anyway, the downtime is, is, is kind of rare. <laughs> But, uh, well, that's a good problem. It's uh, it's actually good. It's good to be busy, um, although it's a little a little too much. So, but but I do you know have a lot of time. I try to make a lot of time for those personal projects that, that are important to me, rather than just you know the the high paying gigs. So uh, again, hard to find the time for that. But you know, luckily you're in a position where you can just pick and choose. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> it's good. I like having the freedom of you know working on what I want to work on. <laughs> yeah, and that, and it's kind of a you know my business model is kind of a weird business model because I've what you try to do is get just a ton of people following you like on YouTube. I've got like I don't know one hundred sixty thousand people following oh, me on YouTube. Wow, and you build up this massive audience, but really only a small fraction of that audience is actually helping you 
pay your salary, I guess you could say. So <laughs> yeah. you know, 99% of the people are getting it for free, whereas 1% pe- are kind of paying for everybody else in a way. Because yeah. if I didn't have that 1%, I probably wouldn't do it because I wouldn't be able to make a, you know, all these different revenue streams happen. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just with YouTube and any kind of internet stuff, you just have to have the numbers. And the, yeah. Uh, yeah, if you try to do it and you only have like 100 followers on YouTube, it's going to be kind of hard to do. It's going to be kind of <laughs> hard unless you're charging $1,000 per yeah, for license exactly. or something. <laughs> That's a pretty good synopsis summary of your background. So maybe you can tell me a little bit of your process of how you actually produce these videos. I mean, you have a lot of these videos where you're sitting in front of the camera and you're talking to it, and I could tell they're they're they probably don't take a huge amount of time to produce. Um, but then these other ones, the ones that you sell, I can tell that you you probably take months to to finish them. Yeah, this last one I just finished a few days ago. That one took, oh my gosh, took forever. More, mostly, I mean, like the other courses I've done on the Canon cameras, because I've got, I got good at the menu system. I understood the camera. I understood its weaknesses and its all that stuff. So I could usually knock like one of those out in maybe a month and a half um, or so. Because it, you know, those courses like around four, maybe five hours long. Mm-hmm. This one I did on the Sony camera, the A7R2, mm-hmm. took like five months because the menu structure, I mean, there's like 160 menu items <laughs> to go through, <laughs> yeah. which is a ton. And, you know, all of them, I don't cover all of them because it's mostly related to video. And so I can skip a lot of the photography side of things, although there's a few things that I do have to cover because I talk about time lapses and kind of like how you might want to shoot a time lapse with uh-huh. this particular setting or that particular setting. So, uh-huh. but I think the the thing that really tripped me up on this one, it took the longest period of time was the whole S log. Yeah. S log just is a very complex um, gamma curve and S log two, especially I understand S log three is easier. But I just got the a seven S two in. I just bought it just like a week or so ago. So I haven't even gotten a chance to try all the gamma curves on that one yet. But um, I think, it's kind of ironic that you, that, you know, while all of us love having that capability of getting like 14 stops at dynamic range or, or whatever Sony talks about in terms of using S-Log on this particular camera, and they're putting it at such an inexpensive price point because it used to be only found in very high-end cameras. Um, now you're putting it in the, the hands of somebody like a you know regular consumer and they try it out and they then they start to try to apply a lot or try to grade it by hand and it could be very frustrating it's not oh, yeah. it's not as simple as easy as adding a lot and everything looks perfect once you add the lot no. it doesn't work that way no no it doesn't work that way and and actually just acquiring it with the right exposure um yeah. you can you can really mess yourself up by by not having the right monitoring like like i just i i got a i have a couple monitors that help help with that um i have the uh, small hd the 502, I think, HD. Uh-huh. You probably heard of that and maybe seen yeah. that. It's actually, I, I got it not that long ago, about a month ago, and I'm really impressed with it. Um, if you have a chance to check it out. the Because you can apply the LUT um, to one of the pages. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's yeah. actually, have you tried it at all? I know, I've seen it at NAB. Uh-huh. Um, I picked up the Shogun myself. Yeah. It has that same type of feature, but um, I did look at it at the show. It looks like a nice... A nice unit. If yeah. You're talking about the one that they put out last year at NEB. Yeah, the one that's kind of the size of an iPhone. Yeah. It's the kind of smaller yeah. one. And it has that side finder yeah. attachment. Yeah. The side finder, jury's out for me. I actually got one. I haven't really tried it yet. 
I'm okay. kind of getting it with a, maybe I'll return it. I, actually, I also have a Secudo um, Gradical, yeah. which is pretty awesome for LUTs and, and doing log monitoring. But I just find, I guess you probably do the same thing with the Shogun. Does it have a, a LUT, a way to load in a LUT and V through, yeah, through it? Yeah, it does. Okay. Yeah, you, you can add it. But yeah. then again, it's not that easy because what a LUT do you apply? <laughs> right, right. Which one you do get, you apply? Yeah. Because there's lots of LUTs out there, and you're like, okay, I'm going to get the one from Sony. I want the one from Sony. So <laughs> yeah. I went to the Catalyst program that Sony makes, uh-huh. and they have an S-Log um, LUT in there. They're like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to stick it, you know, like try it in Resolve. I tried it in SpeedGrade. tried it in, uh, like, I even tried it in my Shogun. And it really depends. I mean, are you going to expose at like IRE 32 middle gray? Or are you going <laughs> to shoot to the right? Or are you going to put middle gray at 50 IRE? Where are you going to put it? Yeah. And uh, that has a lot to do with, you know, what that's going to look like when you apply that LUT. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So and also how, how, ma- how many bits do you have in that middle range or whatever important range is, is wh- whatever you're shooting for? Do you have enough information there to even make it worth it? Or is it just yeah. going to be all bandy and ugly later yeah. when you grade it? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I assume you go over this in your course about how to optimize your exposure. and. Yeah, I do yeah. spend quite a bit of time on exposure, especially with S-Log. And I do on the creative styles, too. I show lots of examples of – and I'll even show <laughs> mistakes that I've made, uh-huh. um, especially on the exposure side of things. Because um, uh-huh. I remember when I first got the A7R2 – uh, I don't know. That was it. September. I can't even remember now. Yeah. But when I got it, I shoot. I I did a volleyball game, and it was a high school volleyball game. And notoriously, those are done on a Friday evening. Yeah. The sun is already set, so the light lighting inside the gym is usually very low. Yeah. And you know, you're not talking TV lights. You're talking, oh my gosh, not much light at all, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So and, and if you're shooting for slow motion, it becomes even a, a harder problem. Right. So when that very first time I was shooting. What it looked like in the viewfinder looked okay. It looked fine, and I was shooting S-Log. I was like, oh, we'll just give it a shot. I'm going to shoot S-Log. And the histogram itself wasn't being filled. It was like halfway full. Like yeah. most of it was stacked to the left. Yeah. Where I was putting a lot of that data in the the lower range of right. the, the image. Right. And when I went to stretch that back out, you know, the S-Log, which you normally have to stretch out anyway because it's a very – it doesn't have much contrast in it, so you're going to have to – basically add an S-curve or whatever, a saturation or whatever you have to do. Yeah. Or apply a lot. And, uh, yeah, it came out wickedly noisily because yeah. the, the girls that were playing volleyball, the home team had black jerseys on or yeah. black uniforms. And it just got noisy fast. Yeah. I, I went back and shot another game, and I shot it all on a, a creative style, actually. And then I, I, you know, I filled the histogram a lot better that time. And yeah. Those images came out great. And I really didn't even need to use S-Log in that situation, especially for the, a faster turnaround on that type of project um, that first time. But I just wanted to try it. Yeah. But going back and using a creative style like uh, neutral or standard or portrait, especially portrait. Portrait is probably the least contrasty of all of them. And if you especially bring it down to like a negative three on the contrast slider, um, it does pretty good. I mean, you got a lot of, you got quite a bit of range, especially for a high school gym situation with that lighting. Mm-hmm. Lighting's way high up, so everything by the time it hits the floor uh, is fairly even. Um, so you're not having to deal, you're not like dealing with blown out windows or anything like that. Yeah. So you know, I didn't really even need S log that first time I shot, but the yeah. second time I shot, um, use I think I used standard and it came out a lot better. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of 
I don't know if you, do you follow follow Alistair Chapman? Yeah, I do. Yeah, so he's he's like an expert uh, about all this stuff, and he basically says you don't you don't need S log, don't use S log unless you have to. Yeah, if, I'm definitely in that camp. I yeah. I think most of the time, I'd say ninety percent of the time, I'm shooting in a creative style, and then ten percent of the time where I have like a really high dynamic range scene where maybe I'm doing an interview and there's a window behind the person and I just can't change the framing or something like that, or I'm shooting outside, um, then yeah, a lot of times I'll kick over to S-Log2 and I'll either apply a lot or do it by hand later. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, and also because the camera's 8-bit, you just have to be a lot more careful when you're using S-Log. Yeah. There's just not a lot of levels to deal with when you're grading later. Yeah, because well, you're going to have to stretch that image out more, and you're going to that image is going to break apart faster. Yeah, <laughs> it's only got what 256 levels of um, like and a it, gradient, and and whereas if it was a 10 bit camera, um, you'd have like a thousand twenty four. Yeah, you'd have yeah what four times as much. Yeah, yeah, but and, so um, and also even what I've noticed, maybe even even with the S log, it seems like they're not even using the top, you know, 10 percent and the bottom 10 percent of the of the range anyway like you know if you look at the curves like if you looked at a gradient and you just looked at it on a on yeah. a ve vector scope or, or a or something like that a waveform monitor you would just see it topping out like at way below 109 ire and yeah, way, it, way above zero ire yeah and there's like the the super whites that go to like what 108 109 yeah those you can recover huh? yeah but i was but i was i thought i would thought at least with some of the lo the log ones that they didn't even necessarily go that high like they didn't even go to the super whites. Like they started rolling off or. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. So it's almost like you're not even, even, and then when you go in, I guess what I'm saying is when you go into S log, it's still not taking the full, you know, eight, eight bits <laughs> of data. Well, I, I think, well, the like, test that I've run, it will go into the super whites, even with S log. Okay. Uh, okay. What you won't get is usually on the low side. Yeah. You won't get anything below what, maybe seven. IRE, uh -huh. everything below maybe seven or ten IRE is pretty much gone. So yeah. you usually have to crush the blacks down a bit right. in post. But in terms of the highlights, you can still you can still recover. Out. You can still blow out highlights. <laughs> Even in S log, I've done it. Yeah. And you'll be like, you're recovering, you're recovering, and you're like, and then you see it all truncated at the top. Yeah. Like whatever maybe it was a window or something like that. So you can definitely blow them out. But from it depends on the scene. Like I show examples in my course where I'm shooting a landscape and I'm like, look at this. This one's super easy because I'm shooting a landscape and the mountains are like five, six miles away. And I don't, I'm no meteorologist, but what I believe happens over a course of a distance is you lose contrast. Not only in the blacks, like, you know, normally those trees in the mountains, you'd see, uh, you know, it, it should be down at zero IRE if I was, you know, they didn't have all the air between myself and the mountains. And the same thing with the like the clouds or some of the arm. Well, I would say maybe the snow yeah. in the mountains. Not so much of the clouds, but um, a lot of times you can. That becomes a very easy one to expose for that you don't even really need S log for sometimes because you're shooting over such a great distance. And I show well, where do you want to put this on the histogram because you have a lot of leeway. Yeah. So I kind of demonstrate some uh, in that in the course that way. And so what did you find? Where do you need to put that in the histogram when you have a low contrast scene like that? Well, one of the just suggestions I do, and I say, first off, if you're shooting and you look at the histogram and you see kind of a, a spike, let's say if it's a, oh, a hazy day, especially on a hazy day, and you see on the histogram uh, in like a creative, not, not nest log, but a creative style like standard, 
even with the contrast turned all the way down and you see basically a big old hump right in the middle um, mm. and there's not much on the, the upper end or low end, that's when you're like, well, maybe I should actually add contrast because mm -hmm. um, sometimes it's actually better to get it right in camera and give as much data as you can you know, to the signal. Because mm -hmm. um, you have more, you know, you might think, well, if I leave it super flat, I'll have more options in post. Well, yeah, sort of. But what happens is in post, you try to stretch it out later. And again, we only have an 8-bit. And even if it's all right in the middle, scrunched up, then you try to stretch it out, it can kind of break apart, especially with like a blue sky. Mm -hmm. You can get banding mm -hmm. issues. Right. Um, but usually you don't see clear blue skies on a very uh, hazy day. So that's not the best example. But um, I show an example where it's actually better to add contrast um, than it is trying to stretch it out later in post with a very low contrast so, you know, yeah. profile. There's no reason to stretch it out if it's low contrast. Unless you want it to look really, really washed out. <laughs> yeah, on the other on the other side of that too, and it really depends. I mean, I'm get, I'm not trying to say these are all the same thing, but let's say you're shooting at night and there's not many lights and it's really dark. There's not even a moon, and you're trying to capture something, um, and so the dynamic range of the scene is extremely low. I mean, there's some night scenes where the dynamic range is actually quite high because you might have something lit in the background or something like that. But let's say it's very, very dark. And you say, okay, I'm at F2.8, you know, I'm 50th of a second, and I'm already at 12,800 ISO, and I'm not seeing much, and you're in S-log. Well, then you switch over to something like standard, and it's like, whoa, yeah. it looks a lot better. Yeah. You know, and the reason is, is because, you know, if you're trying to record S-log, and it's, you know, you're getting it's making it that signal even narrower or more flat. Um, again, when you try to stretch it out later, that night scene, that very dark night scene that has basically no contrast, mm -hmm. <laughs> it comes very difficult without adding a whole bunch of noise. Right. Um, but if you do it like in a more linear rec 709, like, um, standard mm -hmm. creative style, mm -hmm. um, you can get much, much better, uh, cleaner image that way. Yeah. So I guess the key here is, if you look at your histogram, you see a big old hump somewhere. If either it's on the in the middle of the histogram or it's all the way slammed up to the left side, um, you might think twice about using S-Log. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah that's doesn't, a doesn't you don't necessarily have to use it all the time, is what I'm saying. Yeah, that's a good guide. That's a really good guide. Yeah, it's just it's just and and when you do use it, you you have to be pretty careful. I I, I think you you can't you can't just use it haphazardly. You have to know what you're doing. So it's 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 less forgiving than all the others for sure. Um yeah. So backtracking a little bit, um I guess I have a, I have this list of things that I wanted to ask you. Um so I think one of the things that that appeals to a lot of people about you is you, you're just you're kind of a you're kind of an easygoing person. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> you know you and and I you're don't... I don't get too worked up about it. Yeah. No, you seem to be pretty relaxed, and and I mean, you know, you know a lot. Obviously, you know a ton, but you're not beating people over the head with with the fact that you're an expert. <laughs> you're you're just kind of going, well, this is how I feel, and you know, I'm not an expert. Like you just said, I'm not a meteorologist, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so is that something that's just part of you, or is that something you decided to do as opposed to all the other experts that are just really, really knowledgeable, but not always, they don't suffer fools, you know, so to speak, they're pretty direct, like, like, for example, Alistair Chapman, 
you know, there was this whole FS5 debacle. You may have heard of it. Where the, oh, yeah. 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 And I actually got one of the first FS5s a couple months ago. Oh, cool. Yeah. And I was so excited about it. And then I just noticed all these issues with it that I thought, okay, am I just using it wrong? And then I started looking in the forums and I just saw all these people were experiencing these really strange things that shouldn't be happening with, with a pro camcorder. And, and then Alistair was just saying, you're just using it wrong. You know, learn to use your camera. (laughs) And, (laughs) and, and, and some people said, okay. And then other people said, no, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I know what I'm doing and there's something wrong with it. So, um, and, and I don't see you, I wouldn't see you doing that. I would see you saying, you know, if you're an Alistair, she's saying, well, I'm not an expert, but I think most of it might just be that you just need to expose better. You know, and I, yeah, I think where I get that from is when I first started YouTube um, videos, pretty much when YouTube started um, and you keep iterating, you keep making videos and you what's great about YouTube is you get the up arrow or sorry, not the up arrow, the up thumb up, and, up, the down, uh-huh. and the, their dreaded down thumb uh-huh. so they can downvote it and uh-huh. you get comments and uh-huh. sometimes people can be downright rude or crude oh, or particularly nasty or yeah youtube's which, really notorious if you for don't that. look at it that way sometimes people write comments really quickly and maybe they didn't mean to be mean but sometimes it comes off that way if you have a first thing is you start to build a tough skin after a while you're like okay it they didn't like the video why did they like the video mm-hmm. and then you start looking at other people's videos that you like and you say you know what i really like how they did that or they did this certain way or You'll do a video and you like say something and you say something wrong and then people just get all <laughs> over you. You're like, oh my gosh, I screwed that up totally, you know? Yeah. And so I think what I've learned over the course of time with YouTube and iterating constantly is, and you, you'll not, not only me, but I've noticed this with other YouTubers that have been doing it for quite a while, is they get very good at like, if they're getting to the point where they know their knowledge is reaching their limit, like on a certain subject, like, like I always say, I'm not a professional colorist because I've listened. I don't know if you listen to the Coloristos podcast. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, those guys like when they talk, I'm like, what did they just say <laughs> about that? You know, they were talking about they have a whole show on LUTs. Oh yeah. By the uh-huh. end of the LUT show, it's like, oh my gosh, it's really <laughs> complex. And so, I've learned over time that if I know I'm reaching that part of the limit of my knowledge on a certain topic. Um, and I, all, all the other YouTubers do it as well because they've learned the hard way of like, okay, I'm not an expert here, but this is the way I see it. I could be wrong. Let me know. You know, that kind of thing. Uh-huh. And people will let you know in the comments. And then you learn. Yeah. But the fear is, and I think maybe people that just start on YouTube or whatever they're doing online, if they come off sounding a little too cocky, mm-hmm. like they this is it, my way or the highway, that gives the audience fuel to really just stomp all over them. Yeah. So you got to be, if you're just starting, you got to be extremely careful of like where you know your limit of knowledge is. Because if, you know, you're like, like for me, I, I think I've been doing this for five or six years. I'm getting better. You know, mm-hmm. I think if you go back and watch my earlier videos, I'm like, crap, I know nothing. At this point, <laughs> I do know something. But I always, the way I always relate it to is when I start a video, I think, okay, I am not somebody that works in Hollywood. I'm not a famous DP. You know, I'm not a Shane Hurlbutt or, you know, the guy that does uh, Skyfall or, or Sean, Sean Shank Redemption. What's that guy's name again? Uh, the famous DP. 
He's got a really great blog. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, his name escapes uh, me. I know. I know. <laughs> Roger Deakins. Roger Deakins, yes. I am not Roger Deakins. <laughs> and you go to the movies, you're like, good God, that looks amazing. How did he do that? I have no idea. And then you go, okay, I'm going to make a video and I'm going to try to teach somebody something. I'm like, well, I know I'm not as good as Roger Deakins. So <laughs> I have to put myself in a certain place, you know, from being humble. Yeah. And I think that's what maybe hurts other people that maybe come out my way or the highway, I'm right type thing is you're actually giving people fuel to just stomp all over you if you get something wrong if you have that attitude yeah have you ever has has that ever happened to you where i got wrong oh yeah and then did you get stomped on (laughs) oh yeah i've made (laughs) apology videos like well you know i never came across like being like it's got to be this way or i'll made maybe made some comment like um I don't know what would be a good example, but like maybe I'll say up the something very technical. Yeah. Like, uh, lighting optimizer. If you use it in a high ISO, this is back in Canon. If you use it um, sparingly at a lower ISO, it works good. If you were to, if you use it a higher ISO, then the image could start getting noisy quickly or something like that. Yeah. And let's say I didn't do the research and I didn't show examples. People come back as like, no, 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 you can't use it at all. You know, it looks yeah. like crap, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. So that's where I think I've got over the iterating on YouTube is where I've got to the point where I do so many examples. I'm like, okay, I'm about to say something. I'm going to give you a recommendation. I'm going to show it to you. If you don't believe me, that's fine. You, if you look at it and say Dave's wrong, that's totally fine too. But I'm showing you a side-by-side comparison with Optolite, op, lighting optimizer on or lighting optimizer off at this ISO. What do yeah. you think? You know, you can make the call, but yeah. this is what I this is how I shoot. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Actually, one of the things that I really like about um, your site and and what you do is you do give a lot of examples. You don't just come off the cuff and just say it's like this. You say, "Here's what I tested, and this is what I see." Yeah, I think it, like a good example, and it that's why this course took so long to do. Like for instance, because. I was so used to Canon cameras, I knew them inside and out. And as soon as I got the Sony camera, like the A7S, I was like, oh, boy, there's a lot to learn. Like, for instance, like somebody might come on the Internet and say, yeah, the A7S battery sucks. Dude, you need to, like, put it in airplane mode. You'll get 20% better battery life. I'm like, really? I'm like, all right. So I'm doing the course. and I'm thinking, all right, let's see if I can prove the 20%, you know, increase in battery life. So I run a bunch of tests, not only on the A7S, but the A7R2. I turn airplane op- mode on, turn it off. And like the battery, you know, the, the you know, I'm running time lapses on the camera to see when it shuts down. And they come within a few seconds of each other. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, there's no difference at all if you turned it on or off. And this person is just saying it and just generically like, and everybody's listening to him. Like, right. well, wait a minute. Maybe you shouldn't listen to him because I don't think he's tested it. Yeah. Or if, maybe he's got a different battery or maybe some, Maybe he did test it and he used two different batteries and one was good and one wasn't good. I don't know how he tested it. Yeah. He probably didn't test it as thoroughly as you. Yeah. <laughs> he probably just had coincidentally had a bad a bad battery or it was half out or something and just draw, drew that conclusion, which makes sense. I mean, Wi-Fi and things like that, the, the little stabilizer in there and all the other things that potentially could draw power, it makes sense that... It would be, but until you actually test it, you don't really know. Can't really say. So that's it's actually pretty cool. It's a pretty cool cool example. So yeah. So I guess another thing is whenever I, I look at your site, I see you talking about your computers. Well, often, not all the time, 
but I do notice that you're a PC guy and I'm actually a Mac guy and a lot of a lot of creatives a lot of people in the film industry are, are Macs I don't know I think they just kind of grabbed the market early on and they have this kind of mystique about them Macs versus PCs um, a few years ago I actually tried when I started getting to Premiere Pro and I just felt like they weren't really supporting the Mac very well um, I tried to get into the PC. I tried to get a really high-end PC and try it out, and I just couldn't do it. And if you listen to some of the early episodes of, of Tech Move, you will you will uh, hear hours and hours of my struggle <laughs> with that uh, and what I and the conclusion I came to. And it's actually pretty funny. I so I do Tech Move with my with my uh, partner in Tech Move, who is also my cousin. So we've known each other forever, and uh, and he's kind of uh, he's actually very knowledgeable, but he's more of a in some ways more of a beginner about about certain things like he's a hobbyist when it comes to photography and videography and i'm a professional you know that's how i make a living and make money and he's he's more of dabbler so that's kind of the that's kind of the uh the style of tech move it's kind of like you know he's he's the kind of like the host he's kind of like a radio dj voice and and i'm more the expert or a person that explains things but then we also talk about all our disasters and things with with various things but so i had lots of disasters with the PC and I just couldn't do it. I have to use PCs and, and I'll, I'll, you know, I have, I have VMware on my Mac, you know, so if I need to do a PC thing, I can, but basically I'm a Mac guy and you're basically a PC guy. So why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Well, I mean, I remember back, I think it was 1983, 1984. My dad was like, let's go buy a computer. I'm like, all right, what do you want to get? And I was like, I don't know. Let's go get a Mac. I think it was a Mac plus. Yeah. Well, actually know. it might've, I think the Max first came in out in '84, but yeah, I think it was maybe '84. Uh -huh, yeah, we yeah. bought one of the very first ones, and we, I owned a Mac for I don't know a decade or so. Mm -hmm. It was great. I mean, back then it was so far ahead of like I didn't want to deal with like a DOS prop. Oh yeah, <laughs> back then <laughs> before so Windows. I, I mean, I've owned them on and off. In fact, you know, we had one. I had a iMac 27 inch in the, our kitchen oh, okay. for our kids to use. Um, so I've had them. Uh, it's just that. You know, I when I when I got into corporate America type stuff, and I was an audio consultant, and they were all on PCs, and was using AutoCAD and uh, using all that stuff. I just got to the point where I knew the operating system so well, and you know, it's you know, with Windows Seven, especially Windows Ten, it's gotten wickedly stable. Um, you know, I, I was having blue screen of death issues because. I had some dirty power in my office, and it finally because I built my own computer. Oh, okay. Finally, fig finally figured out what that was, but from from then on, it's it's been a rock solid, steady, fantastic computer. Um, I use Premiere Pro, and I got that A7R two course had six hours of content on there, and it never. Oh, I wouldn't say never, but <laughs> it would hardly hardly ever crash. You know, um, very rare. Well, that's good. So for me, it's a nice, stable system, and the only reason I guess I cling to it and I don't go back to maybe a Mac is, you know, I just know it so well, yeah. you know, like you probably know, like if you're, I don't even know if you have kids, but if you had kids, you probably know exactly where to go to set a time limit or create an account for the, the kid's account. Yep. Well, I, you know, I had to do that on our kitchen computer and it didn't work all the time. I'm like, I look, go to my daughter, and you've been on there for two hours, and I have an hour and a half time limit. How are you possibly still doing this? You know? Yeah. And I didn't have, I guess I didn't have the attitude to go in there and try to figure it out. I'm like, screw it. I just got rid of the computer, <laughs> got, got a PC, and replaced it yeah. with something that looked like an iMac. Yeah. And now I can lock them down, and I can use my iPhone to like 
because I, I, I do have an iPhone and I can actually like, you know, allow access to the computer when she needs it. Yeah. So for me, it's just, I know this, I just know it so well. Yeah. I know how to get to things, you know, deep within the, the operating system. Yeah. I think, uh, I think, I think you're right. I think it's just your familiarity and, and both systems can have their, their yeah. pluses and minuses. I mean, I, I'm not necessarily, uh, so pro Apple and, and Mac, it's just what I've used forever. And I have a lot invested in it. You know, like I, I st- I'm still using a, a 2010 Mac pro, you know, those towers. Yeah. Yeah. But I've just got it souped up to the point where I, I can't really make it any faster or better. <laughs> it's just, it's got, uh, tons of Ram. It's got a PCI, you know, those PCI uh, memory cards you can put in where it's just accessing the PCI bus directly. It's not like an SSD drive. What is it MVME drive? Uh, the one that I'm getting is from is from Otherworld Ex- Computing. It's just a it's called an Excelsior. Okay. And it goes into the PCI slot, but it's basically an SSD, but it's going okay. going at PCI speeds instead of it. Right, and, and like it, the MVME one, the SSD, like the Samsung 950 that came out. Um, oh yeah. Last few whatever. Uh, I think that's similar to where it doesn't have the restriction of the SATA. Um, right. right. Speed limit, right? It can go to like instead of like 500 meg, you're doing what? <laughs> yeah, two two to four gig or something so, like that. Something like that. Whatever yeah. the PCI two bus speed is, yeah, go that fast. 4K content. You know, if you're using that for a scratch drive or a media drive or whatever, you're using that that can be uh, yeah. quite helpful. Yeah, yeah, it is, and that's how all the that's how Apple got their their MacBook Airs and things so fast is they just use that direct connected memory bus. But um, yeah, so anyway, so I have that in my Mac, and I have, and I just got um, like one. I think I got the card that you just got too. Um, it's the uh, Nvidia uh, GTX 980 Ti. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, been great. Yeah, so for you, it's probably been great for me eh, <laughs> because oh, no. yeah, I've I've actually been um, troubleshooting a kernel panic. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's basically the blue screen of death on, on Mac in the Mac universe. Okay. And, <laughs> and I've been troubleshooting this kernel kernel panic for like about a month. Oh. And I've just tried to figure out what is causing it. And it's, it's being caused by premier pro and, and a combination with the NVIDIA card and the driver that they have for the Mac. And, uh, it's just, whenever I do a long, uh, encode a long sequence, this has a certain amount of complexity and 4k in it. It just, after a certain time it crashes. Oh. Yeah. So I've just been tearing my hair out, like removing everything, taking out all the kernel extensions or drivers that I don't need. And I think I might have actually figured it out today. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it might be because I have I have two huge monitors. One of my monitors is actually the same monitor that you have. The, the LG? Yeah, the big LG, the wide one, which is really nice. I like it a lot. Yeah, I like it too. I've got the curve version. Yeah. Yeah, the curve version, exactly. It's it's the curve is better. The curve is good makes sense when you're this yeah, close to a it, monitor. And I think a lot of people that, you know, do architectural photography and stuff is probably like, ah, I can't do that because the lines will bend. <laughs> but you know what's really interesting is I'd say it took me maybe I don't know if this happened to you, but after about two, maybe three weeks of using it, you don't see those lines curving anymore. Your brain actually factors in that curve automatically like on a subconscious level so um you see the line as being straight like you know so if you're trying to do correction of a curve let's say for barrel distortion or something like that and you're like well it's a curved screen how am i going to do this you know (laughs) but your brain actually figures it out after a couple weeks yeah i think so like i it didn't take me i didn't feel weird about it uh, at all 
And in fact, I have two monitors. I have a flat one, which is a UHD monitor. It's a Dell, which is really nice too. It's, but anyway, so I have, but the problem is when I have it scaled to the Q, the QHD resolution, it's too, the, everything's too small. Like the menus are too small and everything's okay. too small. So I have, there's a way in the Mac to do scaling to get it to be the, about the same kind of aspect and, and pixels are about the same size as the LG. Well, that's great. Yeah. yeah. So I can. With 4K monitors, I don't think even Windows 10 scales that well yet. So it sounds like Apple is definitely ahead of Windows in terms of scaling. Um, can you, so if you had a, that 5K iMac, the icons look and appear correct and the text looks correct and all that stuff. And when you go into a browser, does it. You know, are the is the text so small you can't even read it, or does it scale properly? In my case, when I have the scaling on, so I scale it to like twenty five sixty by fourteen forty, and it looks it looks the same as the LG, as oh, far good. as all, all the fonts and everything. But I think what happened was the combination of that, and this is just a theory because I still have to test it some more. The combination of having that scaling on plus doing this Premiere Pro and encoding a complex sequence caused it to kernel panic. So that combination, because when I changed it back, ah. yeah, when I changed it back to native or 1080p, then I didn't get the crashes. Interesting. Yeah. So and there's no other clues about it. It's just so weird. Anyway, I'll I'll, I'll report back on Tech Move and tell <laughs> people what really happened. Well, because you know, more. Why you're touching on monitors? Because I kind of maybe you could answer this question. But yeah. Do you use what do you use? Do you ever use Resolve? Actually, I do not use Resolve. Okay. Yeah. Well. Maybe it maybe you can answer the question. Do you use Final Cut or what do you use? Um, I use Premiere Pro and oh, mostly Premiere Pro. Yeah, okay. mostly Premiere Pro, and I've used that for. I used Final Cut Seven before that, and then it just got too obsolete and buggy. Okay. And then I just switched it to Premiere, and then it was so much like Final Cut Seven, like it's okay. a clone of Final Cut Seven. It's just it, faster and has sixty-four bit, as you know, more technically capable. Because the the. The scaling in Premiere Pro is excellent. I mean, so the LG monitor that you have and I have, if you are in Premiere Pro and then you can actually create a 1080 image, because most of the stuff I do is just published to 1080, yeah. even though I'll record 4K. Um, Premiere does an excellent job at downsampling that 4K image to 1080, so you're not really seeing any aliasing or more kind of junk going on. Right. But with the Resolve, it's really forcing me to get a second monitor. In fact, I have... The two monitor setup right now, I'm still kind of trying to figure it out. But I think I have to get like a Blackmagic um, card for my computer to run the second monitor. Um, because with Resolve, when you look at the image, and it's usually very small, yeah, <laughs> and it's being downsampled from 4K to a very, very tiny, maybe like 360 <laughs> by 640 because everything else, you need the scopes, you need this, you need the timeline. Yeah. You, it, really, it really forces you to get a second monitor. and. Yeah. When you're in that just one monitor situation, the aliasing is, you know, that downscale, down, the, all the artifacts that you get when you downsample and a resolve just looks so nasty. I can't even like look at it. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to have to get a real 1080 monitor. I want to, you know, that's what I'm, then that's what I'm exploring right now is trying to figure out should I go with like an OLED? 1080 that costs five grand and all the colors love, or do I go with something a lot cheaper, maybe a thousand bucks or 800 bucks? And do I go 4K or do I do 1080? So there, I'm yeah. exploring all that, all those questions right now. Yeah, I, I explored the same exact questions myself, and it kind of seems like unless you make that big jump to like an FSI, you know, for the reference yeah. monitor, oh, it's yeah. almost like it's not even worth it to go in between. 
I know. That's what I'm. That's what I. So I just. I think. I think you're right. Yeah. I really do. I think there's like, why bother? You yeah. Know? Yeah. You can get something that looks okay. Like the one I got is a Dell, and it's only like, it's a QHD, and it's it's only like five hundred bucks, and it's yeah. a twenty seven inch monitor. That's kind of where I'm thinking of going. Yeah. Because I have a relation with B and H. I'll just say. Hey, I want this one, this one, and this one. Send them to my house. And yeah. Then I'll set all three up and I'll look at them. Yeah. Like, all right, I want that one. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. I think that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Uh, versus, I mean, I could get, I'm, I don't know. I pretty sure, even if I called up FSI, I'm sure they would send me one to review. But you should, you know, you you're looking five, eight, ten grand for some of those things. Yeah. For anything there. of a decent size. You have yeah. To, yeah. They have the kind of non super high end ones for like 25, 3,000. Okay. Which are almost as good as the five grand ones. Like, like I think they would say maybe you should just get that one unless you're a professional colorist. So, um, which, which I am not. So yeah. <laughs> I guess I don't have to get it. <laughs> the thing, and the, but the thing too, is I'm not sure. It, I'm not sure if you're seeing in the Mac, in the Mac world, um, you, you would have to get a separate card to drive like a 10 bit output. I yeah, think, I, I would have to do it as well, and I yeah. think Blackmagic makes that one for like 140 bucks. I think it's called the Mini Monitor. Okay, I'm about to like you know call up B and H and have them send me over one so I could just try it out. But yeah, then it becomes yeah, it becomes 10 bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's if you're going to get one of those 10 bit monitors, you should probably need a card like that. But yeah, I would just I would just get a few. Uh, the next jump up is is the NEC. You know, okay. they have one that's in the kind of thousand dollar range. And it comes. It, I would get the one that comes with the built-in calibrator. Okay. It's got like a little i1 profiler that you stick on the front. And it runs its own software, and it can actually then store the LUTs in the actual monitor. So the better monitors, you can store the LUTs in the monitor. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. So that would be the next jump up if you want to go from like five hundred to a thousand. I think when I go to NEB this April, that's going to be one of my biggest missions is to go around to all the different uh, vendors that have. You know, yeah. monitoring solutions from FSI to <laughs> I don't even know if Dell's there or mm, you know I don't think so ISO or ISO or whatever I don't think all those guys are there but at least talk to some colorists to at the show and see if they can guide me in the right direction. <laughs> that's a that's a that's a, that's a great goal. I think I think you're on the right track there. I'm going to be there at um, NAB as well, so maybe we can get together and cool yeah compare notes there probably looking at the same things well that's pretty cool i got i got your feedback on premiere pro you love it i am not so in love with it but <laughs> that could yeah. just be me <laughs> oh don't I, get me I, wrong i'd love <laughs> i would love if um resolve just came out with another update uh-huh. i would love it if it became more stable it, and it, i could actually dump my cc from 50 dollars a month down to 10 dollars a month subscription for adobe yeah and then I would just use Resolve as my editor and my color grading um, application. But yeah, I would. I would love that. But it's to me every time I hop into it to just edit a simple two or three minute video, the process becomes so tedious, and then it doesn't. It's not snappy. I would yeah. guess the best word I could say is just when you want to edit, you want to edit fast, and yeah. Premiere does that really well. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've just found for me, and and I think I even heard you say this on some podcast that you were getting an unknown error on your encode and you had to take something out of your sequence and then yeah it, it was morph cut one yeah. of the new morph cuts and that was like one of the only times it's like done that in a very long time and it was like luckily they've created this new messaging center down the lower right hand corner because when you have like a two hour timeline and it crashes like like say 10% in it comes up with an unknown error uh-huh. and you usually know well 
it crashed around 10% in. So I got to look at the timeline, do the calculation, find what's weird on the timeline, like a morph cut. Yeah. And, but luckily, I looked in that lower right-hand section, and I don't know why those two message boxes aren't coupled. So the one that pops up in your face that says unknown error, uh-huh. why doesn't it pull that information from the other error in the lower right part of the screen that says, oh, your morph cut's screwed up. Right, you know, right. Kind of thing. So I just deleted it and I re-rendered it and boom, it was great. So I, I don't even know if I'm familiar with this informational thing you're saying in the lower corner. What, yeah, what is that? I'll, I'll launch it right now. It's a um, something they started, I want to say about a year ago. And, and there was a lot of problems when it first came out. Um, all right, I've got it launched. Here, let's launch this project. In the lower right-hand corner, Kind of where your audio level meters are. Uh-huh. Um, there's two S's. I don't know what the S's even stand for. Solo or yeah, maybe it's solo. I know. Oh yeah, <laughs> I've never even tried that before. You see where the two S's are? I, I actually don't have it loaded because oh, I, okay. I don't want it to crash in the middle of our podcast. All right, no, that's fine. <laughs> well, basically, what you want to do is when you get an error or any sort of stuff, look in the and I don't know it because I know Macintosh is slightly different, especially on the menu structure, but everything else is usually the same. Yeah. Right below the audio meter in your main, not in like the color tab, but your main working tab that mm-hmm. you normally use when you edit. Yeah. There'll be a little triangle that will appear and with like a red icon that says, you know, like a traffic signal that says stop or something like that. Uh-huh. If you click on that, a much larger dialog box will appear and it'll say morph cut. Uh, error detected or something like that at um, time or sequence, you know, three minutes, 25 seconds or something like that. Oh, wow. And okay. I was like, oh, I know exactly where that morph cut is. I just go, bloop, delete, and it worked. <laughs> wow. So, <laughs> like, so does that does that error stay there or does it just kind yeah. of flash by? No, it'll actually, when the error occurs, you'll actually see multiple errors happen. So if, usually most of the time the errors that I see are usually audio related, but uh-huh. occasionally you will see one like that morph cut. Okay. Well, I'll see if I can find that somehow. I've never seen that before. I've just and and I and I used Adobe Media Encoder a lot. I queue the sequences a lot rather okay. than going f- directly from Premiere. I don't know if you use Media. I uh, seldom. I usually just hit Control M and then uh, boom, it starts. <laughs> okay, okay. I can do it right from the timeline. Yeah, maybe I should just do that as well. But um, okay, well that's a good good thing to know. Yeah, I've I'm getting so many of these unknown error things. It's like I can't even. I can't even encode a simple sequence anymore. <laughs> so um, my my workaround, uh, and and I'm getting them, and because I'm doing this queuing thing with Adobe Media Encoder, is to use a different version of Adobe Media Encoder, like the first version of oh, CC wow. 2015, and combining that with the current version of Premiere Pro, like it's up to 2015.2. Oh boy. Yeah. So that's my solution. But if you look on the threads, you know Adobe has their forums. Yeah. There's like hundreds of people that have the same problem, and they're like, Well, oh. I mean, you know. Adobe's listening and they actually had me, I don't know why, because I'm not like any um, editing genius <laughs> type, type person, but they actually had a bunch of engineers They did a conference call with me and they're like, Dave, what do you like about it? What do you don't like about it? Uh-huh. And I was going through and I was like, I don't know how you do this. And they're like, oh, with the markers, all you do is stretch it out. I was like, oh, I never knew you could do that. <laughs> I was like, I was like, wow. And they're like, thank you so much. That helps so much. And then uh-huh. I'll say something like, you know, your audio sync doesn't work. And I showed them an example because I was sharing my screen and they're like oh uh-huh. yeah we know about that problem we'll fix it we're working on it <laughs> that kind of thing so okay they actually had, him, had me on a conference call so they're definitely listening that's uh, really cool well next time you're in a conference call with them tell them that 
I'd love it to be more stable. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> At least on the Mac. Maybe it's super stable on the PC. Maybe that's not an issue for PC users. But um, so right now we're at almost an hour. Okay. So I'm just, I I'd love to keep talking to you as long as you want, but I don't want to, you know. We could do another ten minutes if you want, if you have more questions lined up. I have a bunch more stuff, so I'll just keep asking, and then we can, when you're ready to go, we can kind of wrap up. Okay. Okay. So that's great about the Premiere Pro hints, Dave. That's awesome. Okay, so now let's get into the meat of this of this uh, interview, which is the A7R2. I just got an A7R2, and I actually had an A7S2. Uh, for like since it just came since it came out, so oh. I've had it for a long time, okay. and I got I got kind of frustrated with having to buy full frame lenses for everything for the autofocus being pretty bad, um, just for kind of a lot of the issues. Like I love the image quality, but it just seemed like just using it in general is kind of a lot of trouble, um, just because I I had to get full frame uses to, uh, lenses to even use use it for right. any kind of 4K recording. Now, just to clarify, you said you had the A7S2 for a very long time, or the A7S? I have the I had the A7S for since the beginning, and then okay. I got the A7S2 when it first came out, like gotcha. six okay. months ago, whenever it first came out. So I was one of the early adopters of that because I wanted it to. It did the 4K internal recording and it had the sensor stabilization, so that was just worth getting right there to replace yeah. to replace the other one. I still have the other one. Uh, the old one's probably worth you know ten dollars now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I still have, I still have it, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So, but I got I got I just had this idea when you know I'm doing all these things. I'm tra- getting full frame lenses. I'm doing all this stuff to accommodate the A7S too. Why don't I just get an A7R2? Maybe that would you know solve a lot of issues. So I got one with the you know kind of kind of to test it out. But I'm most definitely going to keep it because I really like the way it works. So. So now I'm really interested in the A7R2 and kind of getting the most out of it. I want to ask you, what what's your idea? What 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 are your thoughts about the A7R2 versus the A7S2 versus the GH4, which I knew you were a big proponent of a while back? Well, I guess start with the GH4. I I thought it was a great camera. I I just recently sold it because it funded my purchase for the A7S2. <laughs> but uh, I love the GH4, especially because. Going from a 5D Mark III to the GH4, the amount of detail that you got off the GH4 in a well-lit um, scene was just staggering. It was just, oh my gosh, you know, what is Canon doing? They're not keeping up with the curve kind of thing. And that's pretty much why I left Canon was, you know, Canon wasn't listening to us. They weren't doing stuff. And the GH4 was a fantastic camera. You had small, lightweight lenses. Everything was good. Then the A7R2 came out, because I had the A7S for a while, but the mm-hmm. A7R2 came out, and it's a crop sensor camera when you're in video mode, for the most part. I yeah. mean, you can use it in full frame, but you get dinged with high noise, you get with aliasing, you get dinged with a bunch of different weird artifacts. It just doesn't work as well in full frame mode. So the A7R2, I would think of that as a crop sensor camera in video mode and a full frame camera when you're doing 42 megapixel stills, which is amazing. You know, It's a fantastic camera for that. So... I got to the point where my A7S was my full frame camera and the A7R2 became my crop camera. And that's usually how I like to keep it. It's like when I'm doing an interview, I'm going to have a tight shot and a wide shot. And, you know, that's how I usually roll when I do interviews. So I need two cameras, one with full frame, nice creamy background. And then I got the crop, you know, I can do you know, a nice tight shot with no problem. And um, the GH4 was sitting on the uh, the shelf, was gathering dust yeah. because... Every time I shot with the GH4, I got really disappointed because every time I used the A7R2, 
it had such a lovely clean image. I mean, even, I mean, you could, there was not much difference between the A7S2 and the A7R2 between like 6,400 and 12,800 ISO. When you go above that, the A7S2 or the A7S wins. But the A7R2 does an incredibly great job. I don't know what kind of voodoo they have going on with noise reduction, but it just looks so much better. And going back to the GH4, the GH4, even at ISO like 400, you'd start seeing these little kind of patterns appear, maybe yeah. noise related. I don't know what it was, but yeah. it was never a really clean image, even though it was super detailed. It was super sharp. Yeah. You had kind of this kind of, I wouldn't even call it grain. I don't know what you call it. It was just it's it, like digital. Every time I go, yeah, every time I go back to the A7R2, I was like, oh, this is so much better. Yeah. So I just sold the GH4. It's yeah. just because, you know, Sony's just just killing it right now. Yeah. Yeah. The image, I mean, in my opinion, there's just no contest with the image quality. There there is is a an advantage for the GH4 as far as recording time. You know, oh yeah, battery life and recording time. Yeah, yeah. just just I I don't know how many like interview situations I've just missed, <laughs> you know, because it stopped at thirty minutes. Yeah, you know, and that's annoying. That's annoying. Yeah, yeah, like I have to remember to restart this thing at, at an opportune moment at around twenty to thirty minutes. Is yeah. is such you know like there should be some kind of mechanical you know timer or something <laughs> that you attach to your A seven. Yeah, so. and I think if you're doing like an interview and you've got if you have something like a Shogun or some of these new recorders, you can always record it to a Shogun and let it just let it roll. That's true, but then you but, start getting into you know the complexity of adding this extra thing, dealing yeah, with it. Yeah, but if it's a sit down interview, then it's not a, a hard step to do. But if you're doing like um, concert type stuff and you're just letting the camera roll and you're roaming around then yeah it would be a pain in the butt to carry around the the showgun yeah so i actually have a couple gh4s just for that reason to just let them roll at, at you know quad hd and and that's kind of be capturing the wide views all these extra views and it's pretty detailed but yeah it's definitely got the image is just not as good as the yeah. a7 stuff yeah so, and that's why i sold it yeah. yeah okay well that's a that's a good answer so um how did you deal with the overheating issues with the A7R2? Uh, to be honest, you know, as I was doing the A7R2 course, you know, I talked about it. And then during the recording of that course, they came out with the firmware update. And I, at that point, I didn't really want to switch to a new firmware mm -hmm. because of the course. Because I when at the very beginning of the course, I said, I'm, you know, we're starting at 2.00 and this is where we're going to stay. So I pretty much stayed through the whole firmware, I didn't want to update. So to be honest, since I've just finished the course, I'm going to now update the firmware. So hopefully, from what I hear, a lot of people out there are saying that they're not having overheat issues anymore. And there was one individual, I think his name's Max. Oh, I can't remember his last name, but he actually had a therm, uh, some sort of very high-end um, way to sense the uh, maybe sensor or back of the camera. Uh -huh. He was measuring 103 degrees on the back of the camera where the sensor was um, before the firmware update. And then he was measuring like 105 or 108. I can't remember exactly what he said, but basically it sounded like, I even talked to Sony about this. I was like, are you, did you just change the firmware to like have the thermistor or whatever's in there to, you know, cut off at a different temperature now? And I think that's all they did is they just raised the max um, temperature and hopefully you don't see like noise pick up when you know it gets to 108 degrees or something like that on the sensor i have no idea but that's that's my guess yeah you're gonna have to do an extensive test where you <laughs> measure, measure the noise and 
put a thermometer on it. I'm, I'm waiting for that. Well, I, I <laughs> because the, these cameras now, these Sony cameras are so darn clean. Even if it had a little bit of noise, it would still be better than the GH4. That's true. You know? That's true. Because <laughs> well. I would never even go above 1600 on the GH4. You know, so wise. I'd, I'd oh, yeah. 800 and lower. Yeah. Yeah. It's useless after, after 16. Um, okay. So my next big thing is, um, and this is something that I, my, my kind of holy grail, and, and I actually have a C100, uh, the original C100 Canon, which I'm sure you've heard of, yep. with, the, with the dual pixel upgrade. Uh-huh. And it's just, the autofocusing is awesome. It's, That's what I hear. Yeah. yeah, it's really amazing, and it works with all my, you know, I've got like 25 Canon lenses, and it works really well with almost all of them. Um, so, but I know that, I, I don't, I'm not not very impressed with the A7S2 autofocusing. No. In fact, I, I don't know if you watched, I just released a video yesterday on my second YouTube channel. No. And um, it's about uh, photo DX uh, flapjack lights. Uh-huh. And I was like, all right, I got a brand new camera. I'm going to run through some tests. So I was just recording myself in the office and I was walking around the office a lot with these lights and it just <laughs> did terrible. Oh my God. <laughs> but when you compare it to the A7R2 yeah. with a native Sony glass, the A7R2 works fantastic. Okay. Oh my gosh, it works great. Okay. Have you tried it on the A7R2? Um, you know, I've only had the camera a few days, so I've just done some very peripheral things, but it seems really fast. Oh yeah, the the, uh, the continuous autofocus with face detection um, works fantastic. I've used it in interviews at f2.8 before. Okay. And it it works as long as the person doesn't. Let's say they reach for their glasses and they somehow obscure one of their eyes, or let's say they reach up to their nose to like maybe rub their nose. Yeah. If you lose an eye or a mouth in the uh, face detection, then it'll like, ooh, it might get confused. Okay. So if you're interviewing somebody and you you are using face detection, you just kind of have to prompt them and say, hey, try not to touch your face. Don't turn all the way around so there's no face in the frame. Um, just address the camera and try not to touch your face. And yeah. it works really, really well. I don't, I haven't had a 70D or a C100 to test it against, but I got to say these two autofocus systems are neck and neck. And that new Alpha 6300 was yeah. launched, what, yesterday? That yeah. looks like it might even be better. Wow. <laughs> well, that's re- that's really cool because that, that was one of my reasons for even considering a Canon C300 Mark II, which is like $16,000. So um, I didn't get that. Instead, I got the FS5. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's autofocus is not very good. So oh, the FS5 isn't mm, very good? No, it's kind of like the A7S in my opinion. Oh, bummer. Yeah, bummer. yeah. That's, I haven't done super extensive testing, but that's kind of my thought so far um, on it. You know, there's some other really good things about it, but uh, in that regard, it's nowhere near the C100 level or the well, C300 def- Definitely try the A7R2 with some native Sony glass, like especially like the 55 mil. Okay. I have, uh, a, few, I have a few native lenses. I got the 10, just got the 10 to... 18? 18, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. love that for glide cam work. Uh-huh. Okay. Or, or I should say uh, gimbal work. Gimbal I don't work. I have a glide cam. <laughs> I can't operate a glide cam. <laughs> but uh, it works fantastic. Uh, A7R2 in continuous autofocus, um, and you can take face detection off and just follow somebody, and it works great. Um, and it's nice. It's super light. Wow, it's it's not the sharpest lens out there. I'll tell you that it's it doesn't okay. No, no. But okay. when you're doing 1080 or or 4K and it's not like a 42 megapixel image, you're fine. If I wouldn't shoot 
well, actually, you can't shoot 42 megapixels because that's an APS-C lens, so you can only do 18 megapixels. But okay. I wouldn't use the 16 to 35, the FE lens that Sony has, is way sharper. So if you use the 16 to 35, it's kind of equivalent okay. to the 10 to 18 because it's a full frame. Okay. Um, that one is, especially in 4K, you will definitely notice the difference. But then, but then if you have the A7R2 in 4K, then you might get more more a and other artifacts, right? In the full frame 4K mode? Correct. Correct. Yeah. You'll get definitely a lot more artifacts in full frame. Well, you can't even shoot full frame with the uh, 10 to 18, but if you were to use the 16 to 35 in full frame mode yeah, that's what I for mean. video, then yeah, you're going to get aliasing. Yeah, so that's like kind of the trade. watching out for people's clothing and textures and stuff like that. It's just something I don't want to deal with anymore. <laughs> that's yeah. why you always in APS-C Super yeah. 35 mode now. Yeah, so the there's not really a super wide other than that one that, that we have, the 10 to 18. Oh, I for, mean, yeah. It, like, so for instance, I have the A7S II, and so the 16 to 35 would work great on that camera because right. that's a full pixel reader on the full frame side. Right, but it doesn't have the A7R II good autofocus. No, no, it doesn't. Yeah, I was really disappointed yesterday after I did that video. I was watching it. I was like, oh, God, this is terrible. Yeah, yeah. It's just, but I published it anyway because I good. I I just said, hey, I'm testing, you know, live with it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, okay, so I am going to skip through some of my questions here, but um, lenses. You talked a little bit about some lenses, and I know that you're now you're you're really into the the Sony glass. You've just kind of converted over to the Sony glass, correct? Yeah, yeah. I just back then with the Photo DX, the Metabones and the Comlight adapters I tried, they didn't have flocking material in back then, which yeah. I think they do now. But, use, you know, and I love my Canon 70-200 2.8, but I just ended up selling it because I was getting too many reflection issues with adapters that I yeah. was using. So I just said, screw it, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> and the autofocus works so much better on the native glass. And, and it depends on the shooter that you are. I mean, some people say, why are you even using autofocus? That's silly, you know. But sometimes when you're in a sporting environment, like I was shooting a swimming uh, match the other day, or well, not the other day, maybe it was a few weeks ago, and the darn thing at F4, because, you know, you're going to have to shoot F4 in a dark, you know, pool because it's, a, you know, it's not outside because mm-hmm. it's wintertime and indoor pool. And it tracks the swimmers, you know, across the pool. Fantastic. You know, wow. it's a great job. So I'm like, ah, I'm done with, you know, non-native glass. So I sold all of it and just picked up. And then then yesterday, what was it, yesterday when they announced the uh, – the zooms, the 7200 f2.8. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's great. And it sounds like it's not much bigger than my f4 version that I have now, which would be fantastic. Yeah. The 24 to 70 just came out and they came out with an 85 mil, 1.4. So Canon's working hard. They're they're working hard. I don't know what Canon's doing, but Sony's definitely working hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um I just don't I have so much so much Canon glass that it would be a big deal for me to switch. And I think that's why most people are upset with Canon right now is because when you buy that much glass from Canon, you have this unwritten um, relationship with them that says, hey, I'm going to invest a crap load of money with you guys, maybe 10 grand glass or whatever it is. You keep pumping out fantastic, you know, leading edge, cutting, you know, technology bodies. Well, they really haven't kept up to their end of the bargain with that. And Sony now is just kicking their butt. And so 
it's like you feel angry towards Canon because you're like, well, you, you didn't live up to your part of that bargain. Yeah. Yeah. And, and now we're stuck with this expensive glass that's large and, and we're, what are we going to do with it? We're going to sell it. But then what I found, at least I, I tried out several Sony lenses. I wasn't, well, first of all, the manual focus on all the lenses is yeah. ter- terrible. Well, that's something you got to do. Yeah. The fly-by-wire, it's in such a way where you can't repeat a focus because it ramps differently in terms of its speed. So yeah. if you rotate it quickly, it's going to travel the distance really fast. If you go slow, 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 you might have to turn all the way around. So yeah. you can't repeat a consistent move, which sucks. No. And I've been after Sony saying, hey, come on, give us a firmware update and just turn that part of that feature off because obviously I'm sure they're, you know, how they map the the drive or the velocity or their speed at which you turn that barrel. Um, I'm sure that could be mapped to more of a one-to-one relationship rather than being logarithmic. Yeah. It, there, there could be some command that you set in the camera with a yeah. menu item. It just says um, linear versus weird, yeah. weird, unusable. Ver- well, it's, it's, <laughs> like, it's like the, the Panasonic glass, like the 12 to 35 or the 35 to 100 uh-huh. that I had. Those were all fly-by-wire, but you could repeat a focus move. Right. Now, you could say that, you know, the next maybe A8 camera, whatever is going to come out next, if they have a touchscreen, I could almost get around. Now, this is my shooting style. I'm sure other people will be still upset, but if they had a touchscreen on the back and it had such a good autofocus as the A7R2, and I could tap on one face then tap to the next face, and then it, you know, you know, whatever speed or sensitivity I set, it would focus to the other person. I could live with that. Then I wouldn't have to do any sort of, you know, actually touch the barrel. I could just touch the touchscreen. Yeah. I would be happy with it. I'm sure the other people would still be upset. But for my shooting style, um, that would be good enough for me. Yeah. I think it would definitely be a great addition. That's similar to what the can- Canon is doing now um, on some of yeah. their cinema series. Yeah. 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 yeah that, w- what, that camera that just came out, they have... Uh, Oh, the the one DX two. Yeah, it has that yeah. feature, and I'm like, ooh, yeah. that's good. That's that's. I think <laughs> yeah. I think the autofocus on the Canons is still uh, ahead of maybe the Sony's, but okay. m- maybe not that much ahead of them. Um, you should I th- do a head-to-head comparison with your. What do you have a C100? You yeah, I have a C100 with so the, the A7R2 with native glass, and see which one contracts somebody. Oh, okay, maybe I'll do that. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be interested because I don't okay. think I've seen anybody do that example yet. Okay, I'll I'll give that a try. In my all my free time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I'm gonna because we're starting to get long on time, so I'm gonna skip to um, just your experience with your. I know you've done some gimbals. You know, maybe you could talk about your gimbal experience with the A7R2 and g- give me some feedback or advice. Give us some advice about what to get, what to yeah, try out. I've tried quite a few of them, all the small ones, because I want to be able to hold it for a long period of time. I'm not really interested in like a um, Ronin. That, yeah. Because I've picked those up before. And I'm like, yeah, about five minutes later, you're like, oh, my arm's starting to shake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially with like a red epic on it or something like that. But uh-huh. that's why I've gone smaller. And I did a review of like the Nebula. There was a Team Rebel design. I didn't like that one because it wouldn't balance well. And then like the, the Nebula 4000 Lite had a whole bunch of issues. Um, I, actually, I actually have that one. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. And I- then... I finally ended up, there was the last two I reviewed was the Came TV single, right. which has the um, encoders built into, which is wonderful. Okay. It's fantastic. And then uh-huh. you have the um, Pilotfly H1, 
which is about the same price, a little bit lower. I think is what maybe eight or nine hundred dollars now. B and H and the Pilot Fly I like better just because it was like three or four hundred grams lighter yeah. than the Came TV, and it could also fit in my camera bag. And I could also be a lot more stealthy with it when I wasn't using it. I would hold it in a certain way, where if there's a security guard or somebody's walking towards me, I'm like it doesn't even look like you got anything in your hand because <laughs> the bulk of it could be kind of back behind your, you know your arm basically okay so as it's you're just walking th- towards the security guard and you don't uh, get busted as often okay. you know that kind of thing if you okay. were walk around with that like a ronin the you know somebody will say well what the hell are you doing you right know? right get out of here you can't film here but so, so you found that the came just was too big it was just it worked really well uh-huh. it, in fact you didn't really have to get into the pid settings at all because the encoders worked so well and they would never never lose step or i don't know because that is a, the correct term, but they would never um, go out of a horizon, okay. whereas the pilot fly does. And okay. I've, I need to create a video and show how to do this, but you can go into software and I set up the buttons to a certain way so I can calibrate it really quickly. Because usually when I first turn it on, the horizon's a little bit off, like five degrees off. I can just quickly, within like 30 seconds, get it leveled out, and then I can start shooting. Uh-huh. Whereas the Came TV, while it was heavier, you turn it on, it was rock solid right from the get-go. Wow. That is, that's awesome. Well, yeah, I, I, I don't hate the Nebula, but uh, at this point, I just did a couple. I tried to make a little quick release on it because I found that you know screwing the thing on the bottom is just really error prone. You, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, because you would do it even if you tightened it slightly too much, it would then get out of balance. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So I know I, what you mean. Yeah. yeah. So I made a little um, w- with a Arca Swiss uh, receiver, a very small one. I put that onto the bottom plate of the of the nebula, so that I could I could slide on uh, slide on like a Sony or GH4, and then just kind of slide it around on that little receiver. Um, but then that made the whole balance go off, and I can't even get it to be stable. So I have to reprogram it, I guess. And I haven't done that yet. Yeah, it's, yeah, that could be a very time consuming process. Really. Maybe it's not oh, even yeah. worth it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's worth it because I've got my. I, I had it. I spend like oh, I don't know, eight, ten hours one weekend just using the Pilot Fly and tuning it to the ten to eighteen with the A seven R two. Uh huh. And now it's like I can just put it on there and boom, it works fantastic. Wow. That's usually what I'll use because the ten to eighteen you can you know, you can actually that what what does that come out to. I'm not going to do the math right. My to like a 15 to 35 millimeter. Yeah, I think so. Uh-huh. So you can actually zoom with that lens, um, change the framing quite easily, and not really knock off the balance that much because that lens is so lightweight. Okay. The way it moves, um, I see. it really doesn't um, screw up the balance too bad. So the way I've got it set up right now um, works great, but it took a long time to get to those settings. Wow. Okay. Did Did you publish those settings? I don't think so. Maybe I should do another video on that, like, and show these settings. Yeah, but I've found that, especially on the Nebula, like some people would cut, take my settings and put in theirs. It's like doesn't work, <laughs> and it could be because you know, like, they have a plate on the bottom of you yeah. know, Chloe's plate, or it could be something is just a little bit off, or maybe they're using ND filter and I'm not. Right. So it's oh yeah, it gets really complicated. Right. Yeah. Well. um, yeah, maybe I'll go to the trouble of the PID thing, or maybe I'll just get a Came TV. <laughs> yeah, the Came TV. If, the only thing about the Came TV, it doesn't fit in my camera bag. It's heavier. It's okay. and it detaches. It, 
attaches into two parts. So it's, you could say it's a little bit easier to store, but it's just doesn't, um, it's not as mobile. And okay. I like to I move quick. Yeah. Um, but the, the good thing about this that came single is it is quick and the fact that you can just turn it on and it works right from the get-go where it, I have to wait maybe 30 seconds with the pilot fly. Huh, okay. Before okay. I can level it out. Well, maybe I'll try out both. Do they sell them both at B&H? Yes, they're okay. both on B&H now, yes. And I can go through your link and give you a little kickback. Actually, we... We don't have B and H affiliation yet. We're working on it, but we do have Amazon affiliation, so we're always mentioning that on our podcast. Yeah, the <laughs> sure thing I love annoying. about B and H mostly um, is it get, creates a buffer between me and the manufacturer. So yeah. If I were to, you know, get an LED light from somebody, the manufacturer, and then send it back to him with a bad review, I know I'm going to get a phone call like, "Whoa, you know, we can't say that." <laughs> blah, blah blah blah. Whereas B and H. I, they send me something. I send it back to them. I publish through. I don't even have to tell the manufacturer anything, and it's great. I don't, you know, I, that's why I like to be, keep an arm's length from the manufacturer. I don't mind asking them questions like NAB and stuff like that, but I don't want to get like all cozy, cozy with them because uh-huh. I know some other people are, and I've got to think, you know, even if the guy, the their sales rep at certain companies buying you dinner, or and they're getting you all the free tickets to this and that. And it kind of skews you a little bit, you know, that I want to remain as unbiased as I can. So I can trash the item if I want to trash it, you know, <laughs> like this is terrible. That is, you know, endorsements and money just changes everything. So it's I think you're very wise to do that. I think we're getting a lot more fair reviews because of that. But and I think uh, a lot of the viewers, too, are have a very strong BS filter where they like, they see something, they're like, oh, something stinks, you know, uh-huh. something's, you know, because I think people that watch online reviews are very keen at like following the money and they know where things are coming and how much weight they should put in that person's particular review. Yeah. You've got a very educated audience out there right now with the Internet. I think so. I mean, one example is this FS5 debacle thing, you know, with the bad image quality. Right. So what I what I noticed, and you know, I could be totally unfair, but I'm just going to say it. It seemed like the people that had a vested interest in the FS5, you know, selling a lot of units, were also the ones that said that the people that were experiencing problems, it was user error, and there was nothing wrong with the the item. You know, they had some affiliation with Sony. Ah, oh, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, I just saw that pattern. You know, because they're you know they're getting money from Sony for whatever reason, or they're selling a course or whatever that you know, promotes people buying the Sony camera and therefore buying their course or something like that. I mean, you're kind of doing that in a way with your, your a7 II, you know, course, but I don't sense that, that level of, you know, you're going to be honest about its, its pros and cons. Yeah. I mean, I don't get anything from Sony. I right. mean, like when I was a Canon person, they never even contacted me. So, you know, yeah. So now, now you can trash them all you want. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I, I do, and I trashed Sony too. I'm like the menu system on Sony. You, what, you listen to my course. It's like I like this doesn't make any sense at all. This is wrong. Yeah, it's just like randomly group stuff. No, no. <laughs> yeah, let's I just mean, throw it in there. Literally, they'll have like a icon for like photography only things. And like for instance, one of a good example is like the auto rotate. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't rotate a video. <laughs> and so why doesn't that symbol for photography only next to auto rotate and yeah. the menu system? You know, yeah. stuff like that. It's yeah. just not laid out very well. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. Okay, well, I think we're going to start wrapping up a little bit, but I have a couple more questions. Um, so now that you've talked about all these great cameras you have, what actually is the camera you use the most and walk when you walk around? Like, not when you're doing a sh video shoot or doing a test or doing something, you know, professional or, you know, something for your website, but just, just when you go out and you're with your kids or family and you don't want to be packing a lot of stuff and, and you just want to go. So what is the camera that you use? Well, I have three cameras. I've got the A7S, the mm -hmm. other one, the mm -hmm. A7S II, which I just got, uh -huh. and the A7R II. Right. It would have to be the A7R II with like the 35 mil lens, which is not even the sharpest lens out there. It's a really expensive lens. It's, uh -huh. ti it's tiny. Uh -huh. It's an f2 point lens. That's my go-to like uh, street photography. Carry it, you know, follow the kids, whatever. That is so small, so lightweight, small footprint, but I can, you know, shoot at around 50 millimeters, if I'm doing the math correct, in uh -huh. APS-C mode for video. Uh -huh. But then I can quickly have 35 millimeter, 42 megapixel stills um, if I'm shooting stills. And you're, so, and you're okay with the fixed lens like that? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, I, that was my go-to light setup, but probably my go-to more flexible if I need more range. Um, and I'm, I, I don't mind carrying a little bit heavier lens. That would definitely be the 18 to 105 uh, f4. Okay. That's in APS-C mode only. Yeah. You can't take 42 megapixel stills with that. You're locked down to 18 on the photography side of things. But that's my go-to, like everything lens. Um, if I could only carry one lens, that would be it. It's okay. not. It's got a lot of distortion issues and chromatic aberration. It's vignetting, but. Um, it has a power zoom on it. And if you do any sort of sports, that's just invaluable. It's yeah. just a fan, that power zoom is just fantastic. So if you're doing run and gun work, definitely look at it's and it's cheap. It's like, well, 600 uh, bucks or something. Yeah. Compared yeah. To other glass. Yeah. I actually got that when I got my FS five. So I've used it. Yeah. It's not the sharpest lens, but man, I gotta say it's probably the most versatile. That's cool. Okay. So you don't, you're always, whenever you go out, you're always taking at least some combination of this A7R2 around. You're not just ditching it, leaving it at home, going, eh, I'll just use my iPhone. Oh, sometimes I do, yeah. I like a, we went to, was it Disneyland, Disney World? Yeah, Disney World. Oh, yeah. And I was like, there's no way I'm taking my camera because on those rides, <laughs> oh, yeah. bust upside down and all over the place. I was like, this is going to be an iPhone-only vacation. <laughs> <laughs> so you <laughs> made it, that decision. It worked out right. It, it worked out fine. That, I, you know, I got that, some great stuff out of it. That's cool. Okay, so one of the questions that I always ask the, the people we interview is, and this, they're usually professionals that, you know, they're, it's some kind of industry thing or some professional shoot, disaster story. Do you have a disaster story you want to tell me? Um, I'm trying to think. I did one interview a while back where um, I it was a two camera, and luckily it was a two camera setup. It was the A7S on a, with the 7200 Canon lens, and I had a GH4. And the GH4 was kind of my wide shot, mm -hmm. which was great. Yeah, 4K, and then the A7S, which is 1080 with the 7200. Um, I really wanted that two camera look. But unfortunately, it was, it was kind of a disaster in the fact that I was moving so fast. I was setting light lights. I was doing the audio. I was asking the questions. You know, it's the one-man band scenario where you're going to – something's got to give. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was definitely the A7S. Um, I didn't look at it close enough. And there was a couple issues. One, it was it was out of focus. And the other thing was that, that same issue like I talked about before where I had this big 
streak going through the image because there was a window in the background uh-huh. and it, it just just totally washed out her face and I'm like I wasn't really looking at that camera close enough and I uh-huh. was just looking at the GH4 so I only, only ended up using the and I was kind of saved by the GH4 because it's 4k and I could punch in that way yeah but um I guess that I mean that's not even a great disaster <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure if I thought about it long enough, I'm sure I could think of something a lot better than that. Well, but well, that well, was the first thing that came to mind. No, that's okay. That that can be a disaster. Although, that that's a pretty mild disaster. And uh, yeah, but we'll we'll say we'll 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 probably do this again sometime in the future, so you can think of a really yeah, horrible sure one. Think, give me a few more minutes. I can think of a really good one because I have screwed up many times. And I think you're the type of person that probably wouldn't be too no uh, embarrassed if about it was talking. A good one, I would tell about it. Yeah. <laughs> I've never had the whole thing where you didn't have the card in the camera type thing. I've never done that because I'm always very careful about making sure there's a battery and the card's formatted before I leave. But, yeah, I don't think I have like one. You know, actually, I can remember. All right. I do remember one where I did do an interview. And it was way, it was even before I got a DSLR. I was doing it with my uh, Sony camcorder. And I do remember having to apologize profusely to the person <laughs> saying that I, I did some, I don't remember what it was now because it was so many years ago, but there was nothing recorded. <laughs> <laughs> but that was, yeah, that was a long time ago. Oh, man. Nothing recorded. Nothing well, got recorded. <laughs> that's a pretty good, pretty good one. You'll have to, sometime you'll have to tell me all the things that led up to it. And when you finally realized what happened, yeah, I can even remember. <laughs> it's so, so long ago. This has been an amazing interview. I think I could probably talk to you for about 10 hours straight and still not <laughs> run out of stuff to talk about. But um, do you want to talk a little bit about how people can find you? Uh, learningvideo.com. I'm on Twitter, which is at Dugdale. I'm on Instagram, which I've already forgotten what that is. I think it's Dave Dugdale. I never look at it that way. So <laughs> and then there's Facebook. Um, I think it's learning DSLR video still. I don't think I changed the URL part of that, but I'm sure you'll find learning video. Probably it'll probably still pull up on Facebook. So that's you. That's mostly where I publish. And I also the probably the last one would be Flickr, which if you just search for my name, Dave Dugdale, you'll find me there on Flickr. So I, a lot of times when I'm running tests and stuff, I'll like publish photos to Flickr. Um, I know a lot of people don't like it anymore, but I still like Flickr. I think it works great. Um, but that's pretty much it. Thanks for uh, doing the podcast. I know I used to do podcasts years ago. I don't know. Maybe I did 10, 12 episodes with some people. And I know it's it's a lot of work because you got to arrange the guests. You got to put the thing together. You got to, you know, people don't realize how much work goes into it. And you got to post process the audio and then you got to upload it and then you got to do the RSS feed. And oh, yeah. So thanks for doing what you're doing now. I to be honest, I haven't heard your podcast before and I'm definitely going to subscribe and definitely uh, take a listen to all of them. That's that's awesome, Dave. Well, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. I really look forward to our next get-together here. Sounds great. Thanks. Okay. Take care. Take care. And we are back, and it is Rod Louie along with Keith Moreau here on Tech Move, uh, and a fantastic interview, Keith, uh, with you and uh, the very nice and very, very approachable uh, Dave Dugdale of LearningVideo.com. Uh, 
all of us here at TechMove want to thank uh, Dave for uh, joining us for that uh, interview. It was really, really great. I learned a lot of stuff off that. Thank you, Keith. Yeah, my pleasure. I learned a lot, too. Yeah, I mean, he, 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 he was so, uh, uh, you know, upfront about stuff, and, and I really love the, the discussions, especially all the stuff that you're, you're trying to get with regards to the A7R2. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, understandably, you had just gotten the A7R2 at the time of the interview, like what, a couple of days beforehand or something yeah. like that? Yeah, I just had it a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. And so everything that he talked about, uh, did you experience a lot of that stuff that that he was uh, that he was mentioning? Um, I actually did, and um, I think that I probably want to have another. We want to have another interview with him, you know, and 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 get all the details, even more details, because I have this huge list of questions for him. And and the interview, even at that, was still like an hour and 40 minutes or something. And I think you that. actually only uh, asked about three questions, frankly. Pretty much, right. yeah. So there were, <laughs> but there were, there were like another 10 questions I had from that were really more specific about the A7R2. But, um, you know, if actually just to answer those questions, you're just going to have to buy his course, I think. <laughs> I mean, right. at this point, because I'm not sure if we're going to do another another interview with them right away right so um yeah i actually bought the course i think i mentioned that in the interview since then i've actually watched the whole thing in some sections a few times ah. just yeah and it's really good it's really good it's really detailed um he goes through all the menus which is great just going through the menus on your own it's a little confusing sometimes but after watching him go through the menus and explaining every single thing that he knows about you really get to know that camera very well. You, you, you know what I was wondering is that when he was talking about that, because you guys come from the kind of the same camp, right? Where you've had a lot of Canon uh, cameras before and and all uh, you know, all that stuff. You got to learn a whole new uh, uh, you know menu structure and stuff like that. How how really difficult? I know for me it's almost near impossible. But how about for someone like you, like uh, and Doug, you know, to really adapt yourself to knowing where some of these things are hidden. Uh, it's just takes time. It's just like learning anything that's complicated. It, at first, it's just a big fog and it just seems like a big jumble of, you know, nothing that you can really discern. And then as you use it more and more and more, it's like learning a language or something. Things start becoming more like second nature and clearer, but it just takes time. You just can't, you just can't skip that step. It, you have to wor- it, you know, is there something like, is, is there a buffer time that you need to have from the time you purchase a camera like this that is so different from your Canon cameras mm. that you use on a shoot? I mean, like, do you have to give yourself a good day, week, month to, to kind of know the ins and outs? Or can you just use it straight out of the box and just hope for the best? I think if you use it straight out of the box, you're just asking for a disaster. Right, um, which is pretty much what I did, <laughs> and what I do all the time. But <laughs> but through those disasters, I learn a lot, and uh, usually I can kind of make things work well enough. But yeah, it's the problem is is that if you if you spend so much time learning and preparing, then you can't actually do any work, um, in a way, you know, because you have to. I mean, I'm busy. I'm always booked and stuff. So I'm going to learn a new camera. I don't really have that much time to study it completely. So a lot of times I will, I think I said this before, I'll use some of the less important gigs to, to just kind of learn my gear, my new gear. Right. And, and let's just not um, tell the clients which, <laughs> which gig that is. Uh, you're, you're kind of a lesser client, so right. I'm going to be learning 
my camera on on your job. Right. Yeah. Your 20th cool. year anniversary is coming up, but I got to tell you, I got a brand new camera. So I got a brand new camera. Right. Yeah. You know, your wedding, I mean, it's like your second marriage. Right. You know, it's not a big deal. So I'm going to be, be learning this new That's camera. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I'm just getting ready for the third marriage here. I might, I might cause the third marriage. That's right. With my with my work, but um, no, I, I, so so uh, like for example, um, I learned as much as I could uh, with the A seven R two. So I did a sh- just just came back from a shoot in New York, and uh, this is actually for part of this documentary that I'm doing, and uh, and I just, it was just kind of an impromptu thing that I that I that I did, you know, I flew out to New York and brought Veronica and she was actually the second camera person. Oh, good. Yeah. And she was, and she was on the, uh, the a seven S two. Oh, okay. Yeah. So she got the kind of the old, uh, you know, low res camera and right. I got the, <laughs> although you didn't, that ca- you didn't, you didn't get, let her handle the very easy, uh, a GH four to handle, or did you not even take that? I did not even take it. I wow. Just took- yeah, wow. I did not take it. Yeah. J- j- just like Doug, uh, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, like you know, this thing comes, cu- this new uh, A7 series comes out, and right to the garbage can, the GH series goes right there to the garbage can, it's like ejected oh, into the garbage that's can. That's disgusting to me. <laughs> disgusting. No, we, I just didn't feel like complicating. It was very simple. I wanted to keep everything as simple as possible. So I just took the two cameras. I didn't even bring like a GoPro or gimbals or anything like that. It was just, it was just too too much time and trouble to prep, prep all that stuff um and then like on the plane i was actually watching dave's uh course and i was I had the camera you know it was like a six hour flight there right so it's right. actually quite a bit of time to learn it's like the only free time i have is when i'm on a plane or something <laughs> but um so i had the camera in front of me with a little lens on it so it's kind of small and it's really small with a small lens. It's a very compact thing. It's like GH four ish, you know, in yeah. size. Yeah, yeah. And 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 uh, had the had Dave's uh, course on my iPad because you, oh. you can you can download it um, to your local system, which I think is really cool. Some of the some of the courses and out there you have to stream. It's right. like a way of copy protection, but sure. it makes them a lot less useful. Um, so this this was great. So I could have all six hours and kind of go over sections and work the menus while I had the camera in my hand, right in my little little tray, mm-hmm. air, airplane tray. Right. And and so I, you know, just on that flight, I learned a lot. Um, and uh, you know, set up set it up kind of the way I wanted. And so by the time I got there, um, I was I, I knew a lot more about the camera. Well, that's good. It. Yeah. And and then I decided to um, not not do too much fancy lens stuff. Um, so I actually just took the, um, the 18 to 105 that come, that came with my FS five mm-hmm. and I just put it on the a seven R two and it's a crop sensor lens. So it worked, it worked perfectly with the a seven R two, which is a crop sensor camera in the video mode. Did you need so, an adapter for that? No, that's an E mount lens. Oh, so it just okay, great. clicked right on all the autofocus and all the, it's a native Sony lens. So it's all that stuff worked perfectly. Great. And that stuff works really well. I mean, forget about manual focusing, but the autofocus uh, and the focus assist worked perfectly. And it's an f four lens. It's not super fast, but it doesn't didn't really matter that much with that camera because it's so sensitive. Mm-hmm. It's really almost as light sensitive as the A seven S two. So, um, and the but the, but the thing that's better about it, like way better, is the autofocus. And that's kind of the reason that I got the A seven R two. Yeah, I, I I was hearing about that throughout the interview that that autofocus is uh, really something. 
it's it's pretty amazing. It's real in my opinion. It's about as good as the dual pixel autofocus on the Canon stuff. Wow. Yeah, for video and for video. Um, I mean, a lot of video filmmaker purists, they they kind of turn their nose up at autofocus. But the problem is with 4K and with with shallow depth of field lenses. Even f4 is you know sometimes kind of shallow depending on your focal length, and and you know things get things get out of focus. You know somebody's face and eyes and whatever can get out of focus really easily. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's nice to just have that auto, you know, like face detection or something on which which the A7R2 has. So it's got really good quick autofocus with the Sony lenses. It's got face detection, so it, it can actually lock onto a face. So you can be following somebody, and you know all the the background could be out of focus, and you could be tracking them. You know, and they could be coming closer and farther, and it actually tracks them. It actually locks on their face. Yeah, that's so helpful. I I I can't tell you how much focus I've lost just because of my you know the, the limitations of you know these older cameras. You yeah. just you just can't do it. Yeah, and in the past, you would have to have a really good, you know, like a follow focus and really f concentrate very hard yep. on, on, on turning the follow focus or the focus ring. Yep. Um, and, on, and on consumer, not consumer, but on non-cinema lenses, the focus rings are, the manual focus rings are not very good. They have a too short of a travel to, to focus that well and that, that, that finely. So you don't have to wind up using a follow focus thing to kind of get the gearing right and make it a little bit more you know, more turns to focus. And so anyway, the, the, so all that stuff goes out the window with this autofocus. You don't have to worry about that. Okay. Um, the problem is you can't do too much creative focusing. You know, it's like, it's either in focus or it's not, you can't do like a, a rack focus. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's, I mean, you can, but you have to kind of plan ahead to do that. Would you, you, but you could put it in manual focus and do it at that point, right? You could, you could put it in manual focus. The problem with that, so that particular Sony lens and most, the Sony autofocus lenses is their their manual focus is terrible. Yeah, it's it's too unpredictable. And pretty much every single cinematographer that uses a Sony E mount lens says the same thing. They just say it's all terrible. Yeah, and and Sony uh, just yeah, like he's, like like you guys said in the inter interview, it's a little too unpredictable on that, right? You just you could overshoot, you 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 undershoot the 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 focus, and you're you're just a mess. Yeah, it's just not made for manually focusing. It's almost like they should, it's almost like an afterthought. And I'm not, you know, I think Sony's probably heard this over and over and they seem to be kind of responsive lately. Mm -hmm. So that part's, that part's good. Um, so maybe they'll just listen to all these cinematographers that are complaining about their manual focus and do like updates on their lenses or their cameras to, to have a, at least a, an option, you know, right? M like linear, linear manual focus or something right? instead of the weird Sony, you know, logarithmic unpredictable focusing <laughs> i don't know what name you give it right <laughs> lousy focus well, or good well, focus. Th those were good names i'll i'm, I'm gonna submit that and take that as my own <laughs> the, oh man that, so so anyway yeah so i went there and it worked really well um i actually th luckily it wasn't super bright there it was kind of cloudy and overcast so i didn't necessarily have to um uh, use neutral density filters, which is good because I actually didn't really have one that fit that well on my camera. Okay. I mean, I, ha I had some kind of adapter things, but the one that I have is really big. It's for big Canon lenses. And the Sony, the front of the Sony lens is kind of small. It's like 50-something millimeters or maybe less than 50. So like 45, like really small front part of the lens right. where you screw the filters on. So um, the 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 I have a really good variable ND, um, but it's like 80 
something 82 millimeters. So it's gigantic. Right. And, um, anyway, so I'm glad I didn't have to use that. And, uh, yeah, so I learned a lot about the camera. I still need to learn a little bit more. Um, there's some things I don't understand. Like it seems like some menu items aren't available when they should be. And I think it has to do with whether it's in movie mode or, or manual still mode. Um, there's two kind of modes. You can have the top dial, you can turn it to movie mode. Um, and in which case there's some features that are, you know, like the, the audio meters are always showing up in, 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 uh, audio in, uh, movie mode. Whereas in the still mode, you can still rec- record video in still mode in like manual mode. Uh, but, but the audio meters don't show up until you actually start recording. Oh, so it's not always present. Yeah, it's not always present. And, and also you can't hear the sound. Like if you're monitoring through the headphone jack, you won't hear the sound on it until you start recording. That's weird. Yeah, it's kind of annoying. Huh. Uh, I'm not sure why they, they don't just leave that on or have an option. Yeah, it was actually, this, I was actually recording another gig a, a couple months ago with the A7S2. And I had my headphones plugged in, but I had just stopped the camera for a while. And I was actually getting a feed. It was a wireless feed from the PA so that it could get what people were, uh, the mic pickup, mm-hmm. like the PA mic. Right. And I w- and I, it was working all well. And I, for, I just stopped recording for a little while. And then the sound went away. And I didn't realize that this was a problem with <laughs> manual mode. <laughs> and I was like... I was like, yeah, I was like kind of have, like signaling the sound, the PA guy, right. you know, turn up the level, turn up, the, turn it up, turn it up. I can't hear it. You know? And I like sent somebody over, tell him, tell him to turn it up, tell him to turn it up. And he like went over, he was like, threw up his hands, huh? You know? Yeah. And then, <laughs> so I created this whole commotion and you know, all these people running around, screwing around. And, and then I just pressed the record button. The sound was there. <laughs> Well, well, I hope the Secret Service didn't uh, attack you while you're flagging the president. Uh, that's very unprofessional of you, Keith. I got to tell you. That's no, right. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So, so that's why you need to, to buy Dave's course <laughs> so you don't make these mistakes like I do. That or, or, or like we were mentioning before, that's what you get when you take the camera out like after it just came out of the box an hour and a half ago onto a major gig. So good work. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, uh, well, I you know I think what we should do is that we should have a uh, maybe a full review of the A seven R two maybe in our next episode once oh, you yeah. get a, a, a little. You know, I'd like to hear about some of the footage that you've taken from it. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at that stuff yet. I'm sure you have looked at it a little bit, but I'd be interested to hear what what your uh, reviews are with regards to the image quality and and, and things like and the, and the product that comes out of the camera. Mm-hmm, definitely. So we'll do that. One thing I did want to mention that I got out of the uh, the interview, besides all the information we've been talking about now, but Dave got me super hot on uh, looking at a handheld gimbal stabilizer, like that Pilot Fly that he was talking about. Mm-hmm. That's the one he uses. Oh my gracious! I was hot on that because I mean, you, you know, the 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 greatest thing is that it, you know it seems like uh uh you know they were using uh of course Panasonic's as as part of their you know promo uh, videos and stuff like that when I went onto the site and uh, and I know Dave was was uh, uh, touting it highly and man oh man that thing looks great. I, I I was so excited. I, I'm saving up my pennies 
uh, and it's going to take a lot of them uh, to get one. But uh, that is on the Rod Louie wish list. I, I think I'm going to forego for now uh, my GoPro that I was going to buy mm-hmm. and instead buy a, buy a Pilot Fly or at least something very similar to it because that thing looks like it could change. It, it looks so great. It's so yeah. fantastic. Yeah. It's better than if you go back, folks, to like episode one or two, the Rod Louis Mr. Lee uh, camera stabilizer, which was made out of uh, galvanized steel piping and weightlifting free weights. Uh, you can go back to the Tech Move archives and look for that one. Uh, but this one, I think the Pilot Fly is a little bit better. I think we've come a long way, baby in technology with the pilot fly h1 plus i believe is what he was talking about yeah that sounds like a good one i'm i'm uh i have considered that but i'm probably going to get the other one that he's reviewed is it the is, is it cave cane something like that uh, came tv i actually have another of their gimbals they were like one of the first gimbal makers they're yeah. still they're from china yeah um like almost all of them like the pilot fly is too yeah um but they their tech is pretty good um so and there I think the difference between the pilot fly the pilot fly is small yep and and maybe a little bit less expensive the came TV is bigger not as ergonomic and but a little bit stronger like a little bit more able to just overcome miss miss uh, uh like misbalancing and stuff like if it's not perfectly balanced it still works okay so correct anyway. and, and and I think the came TV one also can uh, I think it can hold a little bit more weight whereas there's definitely a limit of uh, I think like two and a half pounds on the pilot fly I think you can do a little bit more on the came yeah. TV I think like a pound more like three and a half yeah something like that we, yeah, which so. I think is a lot especially if you're gonna add a microphone on there or whatever it is yeah you know or bigger lens you're gonna bigger lenses yeah. mostly yeah yeah so yeah. I think that's and important. Then, but either of them, you know, I would also be able to, I would also want to have it in that kind of two-handle configuration, which is pretty easy to do with those those single grip uh, stabilizers. Mm-hmm. You can just put a little, usually they have a quarter 20 screw in there, so you just put a little fitting on the bottom with a rod and two handles sticking up. And then it just, and then it's just like a normal gimbal. Ah, that, okay. Yeah. So right. that's, yeah. And so it makes it a little bit more stable in some cases. So cause it's more versatile. Yeah, it's more versatile to get those handle those grip, pistol grip ones than the than the full bodied ones. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I I just like the Pilot Fly because of the the compactness of it. The mm-hmm. you know what he was talking about how you can hold it and it's a little bit, you know, a, a, a little bit less uh, attention drawing than uh, than the other ones and stuff. So yeah, um, go but for I, it, I am I am hot on it. So I again. I am saving up my pennies to to pick that little baby up. I think it's going to be exciting. Sounds great. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I think we should uh, end this uh, this terrific episode. And again, uh, we here at TechMove would like to thank very much uh, Dave Dugdale of LearningVideo.com for spending the time with us and sharing his thoughts uh, on things. Uh, Keith, we want to thank you for conducting and actually reaching out to, to Dave and holding that little uh, soiree for us. <laughs> My pleasure. Yeah, it was really, really terrific. So uh, anyway, 
before we go, we want to remind all you guys about how you can uh, uh, reach Tech Move, and you can always reach us on our website, which is techmovepodcast.com. You can also reach us. Uh, how else can you reach us, Keith? Uh, I think, what, we've got a Facebook page. We've got a Twitter page or a Twitter account, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, we got at, at Tech Move Podcast. That's a good way to reach us. Tech yeah. Move Podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And then also, we'd like to uh, also remind you that you can help support the show uh, by going through a Amazon link. And Keith, do you remember how to do that? Because I sure don't. It's really simple. It's just techmovepodcast.com slash Amazon. And then it'll just bring you to Amazon, but then it's got a little cookie there that will, for that particular session, will get a commission. Actually, isn't it TechMove? It. It's actually techmovepodcast.com slash Amazon. Thank you. Yes. That's it. <laughs> Thank you very much. Very good. Fantastic. Of course, by now, everybody's clicked off, so they may not have, they may not have heard that part of it. But. <laughs> well, that's okay, because uh, like all good martial arts movies, the best stuff comes during the rolling credits. So, uh, okay, fantastic. Well, you know, we are going to ramp uh, Tech Move up again, so stay tuned, kids, as we uh, let you know about new episodes that are going to drop at any second. Keith and I will be back with more fun-filled hilarity as uh, time permits. But uh, in the meantime, we want to thank you again for joining us. I am Rod Louie and the great Keith Moreau, and this is Tech Move. We'll see you next time, folks. Mm